Good morning and top of the morning to you. That's right. We are starting the day off at the top. So let's continue right now and be kind today. That's right. We're going to be kind today because being mean is easy. Being kind takes a little bit of work. Somewhere along the line, right around that teenage years, we picked up a few interesting quirks like a nasty put down is not that big of a deal or having that superior smile just isn't noticed Not unlike the clever one-liner no one else finds clever. Making yourself feel bigger by making someone else feel smaller takes so little skill that they often call it junior high behavior. In some circles, elementary school behavior. So today, let's allow that 12-year-old inside of us, let's allow the creativity to shine rather than the casual cruelty. Now let's get this day of kindness started. It's time to play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. I don't need nobody to tell me who to be. Don't need nobody to tell me what I see. Welcome to the Cool Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. My name is Jason Spies. That is Sterling, and boy... We are caught up finally. Woo! It only took us two weeks, folks. But we got caught up. And boy, I tell you, sometimes it's hard to change your oil while driving 90 miles down the interstate. All you need is a thermos full of coffee and a time machine. But we do have a business plan. And part of that business plan is to put out a daily show, a daily morning show. Because part of what we're trying to do, folks, honestly, is is get people used to the fact that every day in the morning... Preferably at 7 (laughs) o'clock. We're trying. Preferably at 7 o'clock, we're going to have a morning show with eventually going, of course, live in real time. Oh, that's scary. Calls coming in, the whole deal, that sort of thing. Well, part of the, you know, building the industrial forest studio may lead to that. You saw the hard hats. I was going to say, we got a dozen hard hats. I'm looking for some heads to fill them, preferably with torsos and arms and stuff like that. But uh. We had a package arrive over the weekend from Becker Safety and Supply. It was sitting in my chair when I came in. I figured I was being replaced by a cardboard box. Greeley, Colorado. Wouldn't be the worst move. Oh, it's 15. 15. 15. All right, so that's a baker's dozen plus. I missed the three underneath there. Look at that. <laughs> well. This is why they send you a receipt. Maybe we can have a few more show up. Okay. Because what we're doing, folks, by the way, not to uh, digress, what we are going to start construction here. We already did by opening up the box. <laughs> yeah, We've started construction well on, <laughs> on the Industrial Forest Studios coming to the Williston Basin Petroleum Conference. May 11th through the 13th, we're also going to bring that studio to the Bakken Barbecue June 18th, and that's on a Friday. So you got enough hard hats. Are you building the conference hall where everything is taking place to, or what? You will have to come to the Williston Basin okay. Conference to find out, okay. or the Bakken Barbecue. I'm also the MC at the Bakken Barbecue, which is happening June 18th. I'm going to get you some hammer pants. We're going to be... Honoring first responders all evening long, emergency responders, first responders, policemen, fire, EMTs, you know, all kinds of things. All will eating delicious barbecue and some tasty vegetarian offerings. Some of the greatest barbecue known to man, which is true. 
Mm. I mean, I've, I've got so many interviews with guys that tell me about time and temperature and wood and all kinds of different things, spices and rubs. And then this year, though, as Sterling mentioned, a vegetarian offering we're going to be doing at the Bakken Barbecue. The Crude Life's going to be offering at our booth because we're going to be cooking this year. Whole vegetarian. And I forgot to mention, we've got the uh, piece of the Dakota Access Pipeline. That's right. On Friday's show, we did about a 15-minute segment on the Dakota <laughs> Access Pipeline, and we never once mentioned the Bakken Barbecue. We're going to have a piece of the pipeline repurposed and recycled. Okay, because when you're building anything, you usually have scrap wood, right? Mm -hmm. Well, this is scrap pipe. So it's not scrap wood, but scrap pipe. This is not a pipe that was used, you know, with transporting oil. Right, and it's not one that's currently in use. Like, there's not oil gushing out of a place where this used to be. This is a a piece that was, like, (laughs) left over with, you know... It's like whenever I put together an Ikea furniture, I've always got a couple of pieces left over. Why is that? I don't know. It scares me. It scares me, <laughs> It scares too. the hell out of me. <laughs> Keeps me up at night, man. <laughs> but this so, thing looks awesome. You sent me a picture of this thing. It's like black. It's, it's like this giant cooker, right? Right. So we're going to have uh, kids. We're going to have high school kids coming up from the Fargo-Morad area. That's the east side of the state. And we're going to truck them out to the west side as part of our Bakken Bridge. Of course, we did that back in 2015 uh, and 16. And we did it again in 17. And now that we're back, kind of uh, having some opportunities to bring the Bakken Bridge back, we're going to be doing that as well. The high school kids will be handing out potatoes, as well as the Bismarck Mayor Steve Bakken, as well as Mick Hager, the president of Canine Pipe inspections, and my understanding is she's going to be bringing the pipeline, pipeline uh, sniffing, inspecting dogs with as well. Of so Frackleberry Hound is going to have friends it's to play with. Some, yeah, party time. Pooch she's, party. She's tuckered out over there. I think she's done with this snow stuff, man. I think so, too. Hopefully yesterday's snow will melt yeah, no soon. Uh, I thought Spring's got to be coming. So let's see what else do we got. We got, of course, the block party coming up this I think it's this week coming up with uh, Stephanie Davis with Digital Wildcatters. She was a interview last week on our program, and they've got a uh, block party coming up. And I'm trying to find the specific date here. 24th. Okay. 24th. Oh, so right around the corner. Yeah, it's coming up this week. Yeah. Sean Forbes will be there. So the uh, Crude Life and... Oil and Gas Directory, OG Directory, Sean Forbes, she'll be down there. I believe she's going to be getting interviews, too. So she'll be uh, doing uh, kind of boots on the ground, you know. Mm -hmm. Dan Rather reporting from the Digital (laughs) Wildcatters block party extravaganza. Yep, another step towards replacing both of us. (laughs) I mean, honestly, that's... Not difficult, is it? <laughs> no, it's not too hard. <laughs> I mean, if the drinking bird yep. can replace Homer Simpson. I've always thought of myself as that little piece of plastic you stick in the door to keep it from closing. I know duct tape is so much more useful than me. What? I mean, that is a t-shirt I would proudly wear. Duct right. tape is so much more useful than me. I wish me. I was duct tape. <laughs> <laughs> right? Come back in another life as duct tape. Yeah, at least something useful. You know, Have like Ron per- Swanson, he wants to be a socket wrench. No, bolt <laughs> no. cutter. Bolt cutter. That's right. He changed his mind. 
his impulse was socket wrench. Yeah, but you know, he was thinking about halfway it. Halfway through the episode. Nope. Bolt cutter. There's a lot of you know, I bet there's a satisfaction being a bolt cutter. That's that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, you know, to come back as a duct tape. Yeah. Think of how many things that you are gonna be doing purposeful in your what would it be? Uh, Depends. In my house, you might end up wrapped around a Barbie for some strange reason. Which religion is that? I call it Egyptian. Which religion? What, were they mummify? No, the re- reincarnation. Oh, well, there's a bunch of Is it Hindu? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, there's a lot of okay. different no, ones. Okay, no, we'll yeah. just, we'll, yeah. the popular yeah. one. Sure, the popular well, one. I, just, <laughs> I think Scientology's in there somewhere, top too. Five. Let's, top, uh, top five. Let's top five here. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't know what just happened there. <laughs> Uh, what else do we got going on this week? Okay, so we've got um, U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer. That's actually our, our work card interview yeah. later on, and we're talking about the uh, Dakota Access Pipeline. It's available in its isolation and entirety right. at thecrudelife.com yeah. already because we did it on Friday. So if, if you want to go and listen to what we talked about last Friday, you certainly can. But if you want to just hang out for another 20 minutes... <laughs> You can. You'll get it again, you'll, baby. You'll get it again. And we talk about the Dakota Access Pipeline. We talk about. I asked him about. In fact, I pressed him a little bit too hard. Really? And you can tell. Okay. Oh yeah, you can tell. Uh-huh. He he makes a, a comment about how. Oh, there's a lot to unpack there. There's a lot there. Mm-hmm. Um, which is is Jason? You asked too much. And and I did. Mm-hmm. And I did. But it's very difficult when you're trying to talk about banking. And fair access to banking and mm-hmm. fairness in banking because I, I look at banking different than the average bear, okay? Because I've been a business owner for 20 years now. Actually, and this is no kidding, mm-hmm. I became a business owner when I was 10 years old. A newspaper, right? I was a newspaper yeah. carrier. And as a newspaper carrier, I was a 1099 employee of Form Communications the largest independent newspaper chain in the United States, okay? They also have a newspaper, uh, uh, television, and radio station, too. They have a re- one radio station and two television stations? No idea. I had no idea. Well, they have Grand Forks and okay. Uh, Fargo okay. for television. And then they've got Fargo, WDAY AM radio. And then they've got their newspaper chain of 32, something like that, newspapers, like Bemidji, yeah. Brainerd, Detroit Lakes. We still do a lot of actual newspapers in this state. I like that. There is. Yeah. Um, they're down to two days a week. Yeah, but you know. But they're still a lot. Yeah, local mags are, you know, they're good. But when I was purpose. 10 years old, I got a bill. I got a bill when I was 10 years old mm-hmm. from the monopoly of the newspaper. For 380 bucks a week or a month, like 350 400 a month. What was it, like a subsidy or a... Um, no, it was a bill. A licensing fee? No, it was a bill. Right. Because what they did is they gave me newspapers. And then you had to pay them back. I had to deliver them. I bought them, I don't know, six cents or something mm. like that. And then I had to go collect. Oh. Okay. We didn't even have pay by mail. Right. We didn't have credit cards. I want my two dollars. I had to go and get my two dollars door to door. <laughs> I want my two dollars. <sighs> I forget which one that was. It's not say anything. Yeah, oh no, it's but better trouble. off dead. Better off dead. That's it. Lloyd Dobler. Yeah, Lloyd Dobler. Yeah. But it's so true, is that you know, you think about that as you're you're this ten year old that's having to go and knock on doors. 
so and, and get the money right. There's there's a couple things to unpack here. This is a fun story. Yeah, you were a I, bill I like collector, I like this man. story. Oh, totally. <laughs> you, you had to get up every day, yeah. every day, seven days a week. Okay, not twice a week like the newspaper is now. Mm-hmm. Seven days a week. We did not have the internet. This was people's only source of information. Okay, there wasn't this morning talk shows that sort of thing. None of that stuff really existed. Not even Donahue. You, you had AM radio. Right. And you had newspapers. Yeah, the ag report. That was your morning news, okay? Yeah. So maybe, maybe a ham radio. I don't know. Maybe. I just, <laughs> Let's not date ourselves too thought, much here. I just thought I'd... Smoke signals. What do you mean? You I know, thought that's... we had already dated ourselves by saying the word newspaper. I thought, we'd, I thought we dated ourselves by saying the word television. Television, yeah. Yeah, you're talking about television stations. You know Come that on. box my grandpa watches? <laughs> television. The one, what is he? You know that box my grandpa yells at? Yeah. Television. Right. Yeah, that non-touch screen thing. Right. That non-flat yeah, thing. Yeah, the non-flat thing. So as a newspaper carrier, you would get yelled at if you were five minutes late. That's like their cup of coffee and their paper, oh, man. man. If they can't well, have those together, boom. People had to be on the road at certain times. They had yeah. to be at work. All I mean, these are IBM raised families. Right. Okay. You you done at five. Dinner's at five thirty. You wash your car on Saturday. You mow your lawn on Sunday after church. Right. That's your Saturday. That's that's, that's your, your weekend. weekend. Punch in with your IBM business card. Your punch card. Sing your song. Remember they used to sing the, songs. Sing the songs. Well, what IBM about IBM? Is so great. We are great. <laughs> What about, uh, you know, like the post office, right? You would have had to been delivered no matter what the weather was, right? Oh, no. It's snow. You're out there. It's rain. And you're you could call there. in sick at the post office. Okay. <laughs> right. A newspaper. Oh, no. And the untold story so of newspaper I, delivery. I believe you could do a newspaper podcast that would actually get ranked. And blow some because, minds. Well, you're talking about child labor laws, first of all. That's mm. what we're talking about, child labor laws, where... I ha- I was a 1099 employee at 10 years old mm-hmm. getting a 350 to $400 bill from the largest employer in the city which had a monopoly. What okay? do they what do they come after you if you don't pay? So here here's how it went. I had to go collect like $650 to right. max out my perfection, right? Mm-hmm. So they sell you on you can go and make $300 a month. Okay. That sounds great when you're in fifth grade. Absolutely. When you're, you know, you, you, you move to a new city and you're so poor, you got to wear garage sale clothes with other kids' names pressed in there from an iron, you know? Remember when that was popular? <laughs> I do remember that, Carl. <laughs> Burger King Carl, yep. you know. Okay, so Cabbage Patch Kids, Wendy, right. whatever. All right, so that's a big deal, right? Yeah, but okay, so every day you got to get up, rain or shine, mm-hmm. snow, doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. Doesn't matter what time you went to bed the night before. Doesn't matter what time you got back from grandma's. Because mom and dad wanted to sit up and have a few extra cocktails with aunt and uncle. You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. What doesn't matter. Well, you're talking about you got to a- make a hundred people happy before seven thirty a.m. on the weekday yeah. on the weekend, and on the weekday six thirty six thirty we had to have our newspaper there by. Yeah. Hey okay, man, people. Well, I was saying? no. I was just gonna say is that uh, you know at that point you're basically 
you're the expectation is a full-time job, but you don't at 10 years old, you don't really have a lot of control over your life. Right. Oh no, this, I time to make the donuts, the Dunkin' Donuts ad time to make the donuts. I remember that one should not connect with a 10 year old. Right. right. Okay. You shouldn't have been up that early. Not connect. Yeah. You shouldn't have been like, I hear you, man. Exactly. (laughs) And that's exactly right. The only thing missing was my hard hat and my coal stained face. If you don't pay, what do they send a couple of guys in suits and take your satchel? Oh no. Here's what happens is that you learn cash flow at a really young age. Yeah. I suppose. Because you, 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 you do collect, the amount, mm. okay. It takes you probably, probably five six hours because you're walking door to door, you're biking or you're walking door to door. After a while, you figure out who's home, what time, all these other, and you go right after dinner. And you know, honestly, most people are home anyways. Yeah, most people. I mean, do you, you, even today's day and age, most people are home after dinner. It was probably mostly cash too back then, right? And back then it was cash or check. Yeah, no credit cards. Sure. Okay. Yeah. What the hell? How would you have run a credit card? You, you ready for just even a little bit more of a, a stupid little sidebar? Yeah. Okay. So I'm um, hooked now. What What you had was? Do you remember the old Rolodex? Oh yeah. And it was essentially like a it was an address uh, um, book. Folks, think of like a, a, a recipe card or a, a flash card, right? Yeah. But think of one that's like longer. So maybe like five inches long by three inches wide, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and then you'd have a, a kind of a, a clasp ring. You'd have three of those or two that you'd put through the top so you could have your 500 customers on one thing right yeah, one quick to access file because as you went door to door you'd flip it mm-hmm. well at the very end was six months or a year depending because they they did a year at one time when they got really cheap when they were cutting costs take it out on the kids yeah of course so it's a perforated little tab you know like you know the size of a pull tab sure the part you pull off yeah Oh, geez. That so tiny, size. Tiny, tiny, right? Like yeah. two postage like the size stamps. Of a fingernail. Two yeah. postage stamps, right? So it's that size of a rectangle. Mm-hmm. That was their receipt. Shit. That was their <laughs> receipt. So they'd give you cash, $8.80 mm-hmm. or $10.60. So you had to carry change like a Domino's delivery yeah, did driver. Yeah, one of those change makers? So they, they tried to sell them to us. I bet us. you they did. The newspaper tried to sell them to yeah, us. they're always trying to sell you stuff. They would sell us the bags that we had to carry the newspaper in. Oh, they made money off us too as carriers. Oh, yeah. Totally. It's working for the company store, man. Absolutely. Working for the company store. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. 16 tons. I'm getting like pissed Whoa. off. I know. You're getting about animated. This. I'm getting pissed talking about this now. How did this so, end? How did? Oh, when did you stop so then, doing this? There were times where that perforated thing, it would be hanging on yeah. by two little notches it's left. It's just waiting to go. And you're like. As soon as you turn your head. So man. you got to go get tape. And you're like. Right. And then you open up your. You, you, you would have like this uh, kind of this, this pouch. You'd keep it in this waterproof pouch, right? Mm-hmm. You'd look down and there'd be two of these perforated receipts. Oh, shit. Who owes me money now? Right. Where did these come Where from? Where did these come from? <laughs> okay. Now, let's go to the next part of this. Because this is, this is, I mean, this, this is, is, this is therapy time. This is, yeah, I feel it's a cathartic. Well, now you got the guy who's always the guy. 
that doesn't pay? Wife's got the checkbook. Uh, oh yeah. Wife's got the these checkbook. these these manly men that hide behind their wives. Mm-hmm. They answer the door. Hey. Oh yeah, wife's got the checkbook. She's not home right now. She's grocery shopping. Oh, so boy. Wife does a grocery shopping. Wife's got to be like, boy, choose. I mean, dude, you don't understand what you sound like to a 10-year-old, but different podcast for a different sure, day. Sure, right, yeah. So what ends up happening, they don't pay you that month. Mm-hmm. But as a 10-year-old, you got to keep delivering their paper because they haven't canceled with the newspaper. Right. The newspaper hasn't given you the authority to stop. So if you stop out of protest because they didn't pay you, you get dinged 50 cents as a penalty by the newspaper for not delivering the newspaper if they complain. So you got to cover it. Oh, it's just right. It's a a racket, man. So now we're three, we're three months in and this is regular. This is that there, this was 5% of your 5% of your uh, bill collecting, you know, of your time, you mean spent? Dude, yeah. cash flow, receivables. Yeah. It's no different when you're a ten-year-old newspaper Sounds boy. Exhausting. Or, or if you're tracking down a million-dollar oil well yeah. contract, you I'd know rather what I mean? do that. I it's think this, you trust me. You want to chase the million? <laughs> yeah, the eight dollars and eighty yeah. cents. You're chasing quarters and nickels here, man. Of course, as a ten-year-old, that's a lot of money. Sure. But you think about you know so, how much time oh, went into making that eight fifty. It was unbelievable. Yeah. But as there, as a, it was a great job though, because I always had cash. Yeah, I always had cash. Oh, you're independent. Okay, so three months in, right? You know, dad of the year hasn't paid the paper boy yet. Uh-huh. Blamed us what finds out he's not even married. <laughs> she blames left. his wife. She left him for a paper boy. <laughs> blames the wife the whole time. Wife's got the checkbook, all the stuff like that. Basically, you know, and he always answers with a beer. So he's got it. Oh, so he's yeah. So later in life, I'm thinking, oh, this dude's got money to drink, but not money to yeah, pay. You should ask for it in beer, newspaper, all this other stuff. Well, okay. Finally, my dad steps in. Oh yeah, I mean now my dad steps in because he's he goes down to the form and he's like, "What do you want a ten year old to do?" Right. He's I mean, not a friggin' debt collector. Come on, you have to step in and yeah get involved here because they wouldn't get involved. And so here I'm, I'm a 10 years old carrying. Cause at this point I'm the bank, right? I'm carrying the monopoly, the newspaper in town. <laughs> I mean, this is unbelievable. Yeah. This is my life. So this you- is, these are my lessons in business. So I do get a little bit upset with the entrepreneur program at NDSU. Mm-hmm. And and University of North Dakota, when they they don't teach that. No, they don't well, teach you that market doesn't exist anymore. No, they don't teach you how to carry a Monopoly newspaper for ten, you know, for three months mm-hmm. when you're ten years old. What the risks are behind that? What the stresses are behind it's a that? Perfect snapshot. The, the brick wall is of trying to get the newspaper to listen, and they don't listen. Well, no, because you're expendable. I mean, there's a hundred of you. You know. That's what I'm saying. The authority of power. Oh, we you know we got to revisit this over and over again because it's fun. Because the, I mean, there's times where the recruiting where they get you to go out. And they call it recruiting, mm-hmm. and they get you to go out and try to get clients, news, new newspapers. Yep. You know, if you go sign up a hundred new newspapers, you get like a five dollar ticket somewhere. It's just, you get like a bike. It's like a Chuck E. Cheese thing. <laughs> sure, like, right. You, you go spend a thousand dollars on skee ball. 
you get yeah you know you, you get, get some gummy bears or something yeah <laughs> you well, get the eraser head see see i always wanted to to work for grit <laughs> or one of those magazines <laughs> you remember those when you okay, were as sorry, a kid what? you know they were in the back of comic books it's like sell grit or sell birthday cards or whatever mm. and it was like you got you could get money or you could get prizes you know so yep. it was like you could get a tape recorder or you could get a stereo or a bicycle or a telescope or something like that so it's interesting about the newspaper carriers though because what ended up happening is and but there's all kinds of different angles to this so like i had streets and avenues mm-hmm. where other friends of mine had apartments so they were in and out 20 minutes, better being better 100 than. newspapers, done. Right. Do you guys Be, ever uh, have turf and, wars? And because they were in apartments renting, mm-hmm. they had to pay the newspaper. Mm-hmm. I mean, all kind of, they had all these different wonky things. And so, um, it was a little easier to collect on stuff. I well, bet. it was like yeah. you saw all the advantages mm-hmm. and things like that. How do you that. get some of that, man? Right. So what, were you, what was your question? No, I was going to say, do you guys ever have any turf wars? You know, I'm just picturing like a young Jason Spees no, with his bag. No, and, we would help each other oh, out okay. as much as we could. Yeah, in fact, on Sunday, the, uh, the, neighbor, the neighbor route and I, we actually shared our route. We would meet because the newspaper would get dropped off in your district, right, mm-hmm. in, your, in, in your territory. Well, Sunday, you had, it came in two papers. Mm-hmm. You had the Sunday Comics which was as thick as the regular paper. Yeah, that's what people are so waiting for. you had your regular newspaper, which was really thick, mm-hmm. and then you had your Sunday comics, and they came separately. And so you had to insert one in the other. Oh, so you're actually doing that labor oh, too, man. Dude, you, I, I was going to say, did you have to put them in plastic bags too if it was raining? If, or if it was not, because you would throw it then. I was going to say, are you throwing it or are you taking it up and putting it in a mailbox? You all oh, then you had people that would specifically buy the uh, uh, newspaper boxes right. that you'd have to put it in there, and then you'd have people that would specifically tell you to go put it in the milk box, the milk, milk box. box, because there were still milk boxes. senior citizens mostly mm-hmm. senior, and I'll, and I'll be frank, mostly senior citizens that had milk boxes where they got home milk delivery. Wow! Right. I love this place. What era am I, I know. living in? Yeah, what? is this like 1932? What I mean, malt what the hell shop are you? did I grow up next to? What the heck is For going the record, on here? Jason is not 80. <laughs> what the heck? He's a robust 40 something. Is there any? It just sounds old. Everything about what I just said just sounds extremely old. Podcaster except, shouts at clouds. Except child labor. That's the only thing that really well, that's connected. That's what kicks it off, man. You know, and there's probably a lot of people out there that have that kind of story, you know, whether they were delivering papers or some other job. In fact, I'm going to reach out to the old general manager of uh, the newspaper. <laughs> oh, no, him and I, because him and I have gone to lunch about this many times. He agrees. Okay. We have to do a whole segment on this. And the, the politics actually at the corporate office behind the adults muscling out the kids was unbelievable too because it was during a recession. Oh, geez. So all these adults were coming forward and saying like, listen, we'll come down to the newspaper, pick up the paper mm-hmm. at three in the morning so then you don't have to drive it out to the kids' area. Oh, dude, they were like, it was like dirty pool and these kids are just... Being kids, well, yeah, trying to get home before Dungeons and Dragons was on Saturday morning cartoons. See, this is like an this is like the <laughs> plot for the best '80s kids movie that was never oh, made, man. Totally, I this mean, is like a Spielberg. I mean, come on, we got to do this. That's what I'm telling you. You could do so much with the just the whole 
newspaper carrier, that whole evolution, because there was a time when that was it for jobs. That was it. If yeah, you were just, a kid, you couldn't do anything yeah, else. Lemonade because, stands or well, car Well, they didn't let you drive or, a tractor anymore. Right. Roger Johnson, who just retired from uh, being the uh, president of the National Farmers Union. Okay. Mm-hmm. He just retired uh, with Trump a uh, year before Trump left. Okay. okay. Uh, and he's a, he's a very big Democrat. Okay. But he's from North Dakota. So if you're from North Dakota, Democrat, a lot of Republicans like you because, you know, you have to see both sides yeah. or, you know, you get... You know, tarred, well, that's what I liked about feathered. this area, at least recently, until yeah. recently. Was well, that New, kinda... New Mexico is like that at times. Mm-hmm. Texas is like that. Oklahoma, of course, is like that. Where, you know, if, if you're a Democrat in one of those states, Wyoming's like that. You see more red than blue. Right. You know, type of a thing. So, But Roger Johnson, uh, my son Otis, when he was doing Kids in Capitalism, he interviewed Roger Johnson. And that interview is available online, by the way. And... My son Otis was eight years old when he did the interview mm-hmm. for his podcast. A natural, too. He had a podcast when he was eight years old, and he'd asked first jobs. This is when he was actually the last year at Montessori. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Roger Johnson's first job was when he was about eight years old checking gopher and fox traps. Wow. On horseback. Wow. Or tractor. Okay. When he was eight years old, he was checking to see if there was a dead or alive fox mm-hmm. connected to a trap, okay? Which probably meant he had a gun, too, then, uh, right? Maybe, or right? something, right, yeah. Or, or, 22 or something. Or a chalet. Yeah. What do they call that in Ireland? What the right? hell? <laughs> I, I was going to say I was, billy club, I but I wanted to get... ski lodge, isn't it? A chalet? Well, you know what a billy club... Like yeah, sure, a, yeah, a truncheon. Like a club, right? Yeah, so yeah, I wanted a to beater. Have a little, oh, that's nice. I'm I wanted to, to look that word fun. up. I wanted to wake a few people up. Yeah, fancy pants here. I think that's what it's called, like the... The Scepter Club, okay, like a chalet. I love it. Well, the, like the short version of blackjack is what okay, they call right, it. The shorter right. version where you hit them in the so back it's of the head. Sort of a short club. Well, Boom. that I that's probably what you'd have, right? If you didn't have a gun, yeah, some sort of stick. Well, you're not going to use a knife, baseball bat, at least, right? To, you're you're going to use something to hit it in the head. Yeah, right. You're going to have to knock it out, kill it. Either way, so here's what my eight year old son processes: the Montessori eight year old son. Prepped him well. Who's doing his first Kids in Capitalism podcast. This is one of his first three interviews, I think. He interviewed uh, U.S. Senator John Hoban. He interviewed U.S. Senator Heidi Heitkamp at the I've time. i seen some good pictures of him doing his interviews. And he interviewed uh, and... Roger Johnson when he was president of the uh, National yeah. Farmers Union, who his first job was checking fox and gopher traps with a horse or a tractor when he was eight years old. Otis's school, no kidding, just implemented a policy that week because some student got their hands smushed in, its, in a door in Massachusetts. So their school implemented a policy that you could not open the door if you were under 12 without an adult being present. Otis says to me while we're driving home, Hey, Dad, Roger Johnson was driving a tractor when he was eight years old, and we can't open the door at our school. <laughs> Pretty smart kid for an eight-year-old to put that together. So are we, are we pampering the kids, or are the kids just dumber now? I don't know if they're dumber. We're just shifting things bad, around. Bad use of word. But. Yeah, but you know what I mean. We're shifting, yep. we're shifting our intelligence around. We're shifting our energy around. Yep. We're priorities. shifting our priorities yep. around. Absolutely. Yeah, to absolutely. Where back in the day... 
I, I kick myself all the time because I don't understand engines. Yeah. Like, how is it that I have not figured out engines yet? Because I'm, I'm kind of a smart guy, and I've got a very scientific, linear thinking mind at times, and this and that. Well, you've, you've been able to live in a, a world where there hasn't been a lot of pressure to make you go, I have to, it's not like Mad Max, where right. it's like life or death, I got to figure out a carburetor. I even go down that path of looking at my contemporaries and saying, I got to be as smart as that guy, don't I? Like that, that, that my friend who's a mechanic, Yeah, I, come on, I got to be that smart, can't I? When it comes to cars? But then they say things to me like, I can't do what you do speaking-wise. Yeah. And that's when I realized talent and skill and this and that. It's not about intelligence. It's about skills and priorities and shifting your energies. and Yeah, and the things know. that are interesting to you. You know, the mechanic yeah. could probably learn how to be a gifted speaker if it was something they cared about. Just like if it really, really was a passion for you, you'd learn how to take apart an engine. So it's interesting, you know, because when I was eight years old... Um, I, you know, was doing work as well. That was when I was doing more of uh, weeding and cutting lawns and, yeah, you know, see, that's that the sort kind of, of stuff, stuff. I remember as a kid. But then when I was 10, I did get my first full-time job and I was a 1099 employee. So I often think about that, how I've been cash flowing my life since I was 10 years old. I've been working every day of my life since I was 10 years old. Yeah, Even when I was on my deathbed, you know, I was still working. And mostly for yourself, right? I mean, almost entirely. All but three yourself. years, yeah. pretty much, yeah. yeah. All but those three years I worked for the radio station uh, as executive producer. That was an interesting time. There's something to be said for that, you know, the nine to five, the punch the clock. The, the, I think what I miss the most is a consistent paycheck, you know. Yeah, the older working I get, for myself, yeah. the more I do, I do envy that consistent mm-hmm. paycheck sweet constancy yeah. where's that uh, is it called retirement or is it called uh what are they, or they just call it a regular job or? i'd always sort of you know as my retirement plan i thought i'd be a, a greeter at a walmart but they're phasing that out so i'm thinking shiftless loner or well, if you can panhandler a, if you can get a business in north dakota you can get a guaranteed check with that entrepreneurship program that's sure. how it works there yeah. because that's what you get is a guaranteed check every two weeks just like all the other entrepreneurs. Wow, we need to start our food truck. California girl, up in your world, the earthquakes. I want to shatter your pearls. Simple breeze coming in my way. Blowing down the sand and trees. I know where the moon comes in. Right between the ocean and the skin. Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. It's sponsored in part by Chewy Paws. All natural elk, deer, moose, and caribou antler chews for dogs. USA sourced premium quality and no preservatives. They love what we do in oil and gas and all profits go to the dogs. That's Chewy Paws. Check out their website, ChewyPaws.com. That's Chewy Paws with a Z.com. The Crude Life, play hard, work hard, is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker 
to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Hard work, hard morning show. My name is Jason Spies. That is Sterling. I'm holding my Becker Safety and Supply uh, notepad here. Things sounded solid. And by the way, we got this is yours. Yeah, cool. we've got several of them. By the way, man, this thing's awesome. Becker Safety and Supply sent us along with our hard hats that we are going to start construction on. The Industrial Forest Studios, which will be debuting at the Williston Basin Petroleum Conference May 11th through the 13th. Sean Forbes will be there from Denver, Colorado with OG Directory. She'll be assisting with some of the interviews as well as Jenica Hauser. Sterling's invited. Of course, we don't know yet. His wife's in transition with her job and he's got kids and a job. Stuff you know. I do for a living. His other business is actually... Did Frackleberry Hound leave? Boy, she's just... Uh, is, she's, that a com- is that commentary on what we're talking about? I don't know. Oh, she I slept feel bad through our last her. segment. Well, yeah. It's been upsy ter- topsy-turvy weather, man. All right, folks. This is our next segment. We've got news coming up. Is that what we got going on yeah, now? Yeah, although i got a question about the hard hat. Am I going to be like conscripted into unskilled labor? Well, not, we don't, you don't need to concern yourself with that. <laughs> just one day at a time here. It's, 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 it's only time. Monday. Just, shh, it's okay. We, we finally <laughs> just got caught up. It feels good, doesn't it? Oh, boy. What's a, who's a, what's a? I'm yeah. still trying to figure out how we're going to do tomorrow's show. So. Well, Is, aren't you out of town on Tuesday? Uh, yes, I am. See? That's yeah. what I'm saying. We yeah. Might. I'm thinking time machine again. We've got a magic something. <laughs> But yeah, we've actually got some news. You know, we haven't really talked a lot about news lately because we've been playing the whole catch-up game. Oh, let's get the news sounder. Beep, beep, beep. So let's talk about it here. Some of the things we've been following. This is from The Hill. Nearly 400 state and local officials call for ban on new fracking permits. Oh, The Hill. Yep. From hey, You know, the, the Hill's one of those the interesting Hill. ones. It's, it, it actually has kind of a right... Are they run by the Democratic Party? No. No, it's actually, as far as I understand, it's owned by a um, conservative. Are you for real? I am for real. Is it Politico, that is? Politico is probably definitely the, much the more Democrat of a left. one? Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. See, I generally what I do is I, I, I read between the lines on these. Mm-hmm. And so I'm glad that, this, that you have this story because generally there is some news. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's usually one... One sentence we got to find. The Hill the has a lot of, of opinion. In the heap of crap of opinions. Right. right. Yeah. The trash yeah. heap has spoken for oh, the you man. Fraggle Rock We folks need out there. a trash heap. 
I'll tell you, it's like panning for gold, right? You're looking for a nugget let's, of let's, interest. Let's here. pan for gold in this story. All right, so nearly 400 state and local elected officials from across the country have signed a letter calling for an outright ban on new federal permits for fracking and fossil fuel infrastructure. Oh, there's your story right there. Yep. Repeat is, that. Repeat that. What was that? Nearly 400 state and local elected officials from across the country signed a letter calling for an outright ban on new federal permits for fracking and fossil fuel infrastructure. This was after the Biden administration imposed a temporary moratorium on such permitting on federal lands. So, 375 officials. I remember this, actually, from... uh, It was either Monday or Tuesday this week. We had... This one was on the uh, pile, right? Mm -hmm. This is part of the pile, news pile? Yep. Yep. Nuggets. Nuggets of news. Um, What's the date on the story? Oh, gosh, you want me to find that well, out? Well, it's too? up near the top, right? Yeah, I know. It's, it I it know. should be right yeah. underneath the it headline. It looks like actually it was on the 13th. Yeah, okay. At so 9 o'clock a.m. Oh. Eastern Standard Time. Look at that. Okay, so we're talking about uh, the 13th. So, yeah, a few days ago. Mm-hmm. 400 state and local officials call for a ban on new fracking permits. Boy, that tells me that they're trying to put the Colorado template across the federal. It sounds. That's my first that's reaction. That's exactly what it sounds like. Um, okay, keep going. So now. they released this letter on Tuesday, and they called on the federal government to end fossil fuel industry subsidies, revoke oil and gas permits for sites within 2,500 feet of homes or schools, and support quote a just transition to clean energy for workers and communities impacted by fossil fuels. End quote. I guess I'm not as familiar with uh, California and New York because California. I just always associate them more with emissions, you know, more emission standards. Yeah, they've got some different setback regulations, and but they're more about the engines and the emissions yeah. and the smog and the people. The people are the problem. But okay? we did see that bill a week or so ago we were talking about that's going that, that's forward. That's already gone away. Is it? Yeah, okay. I saw that's already gone okay. away. Um, New York has been more of a keep it in the ground people like mm-hmm. we're not going to look at anything but just fossil fuels go away yeah. colorado to me seemed like the one okay our compromise is this we're going to make it so hard for you that we're going to reduce your industry by about 90 percent. that's what it seems to me like they're doing is mm-hmm. the colorado template which is kind of a hybrid of call of a uh, new york and and california which is the, the emission stuff, California, when they started doing the emission stuff with the cars, when they when they had to certify certain emission standards mm-hmm. with the exhausts, and I lived in California yeah, during that too. time. me too. I had to get the uh, yearly, I forget, smog check. Without a doubt. Yeah. In fact, you couldn't even get gas for a while without those things. Yeah. And, and then they did the little uh, smog uh, over the gas mm-hmm. where they had the sleeve, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I, I look at California as much as I fault California. I don't hate them as much as everybody else because California... It's easy to pick on California. But California has tried a lot of different mm-hmm. techniques that have really helped out. Jiffy Lube, Cummings, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of trucking industry with these, you know, these making just diesel engines so much better. Yeah, they're sort of a test ground because okay. they are such a large economic presence as a state, one of the largest economies in the world, like but, ranked in the top five. But not only that, right, with they agriculture. They can put that kind of pressure on 
they can make that almost like a separate government could do that. They've been able to put that kind of pressure. There was times when California was like as big as most of the countries across the globe. Yeah, at one point they were like the top three or four world like economy in the the world. world. Yeah, yeah. And the reason that California too with the emission stuff is is so critical because you know when I was living down there, where was I on the Santa Monica? Santa Monica Freeway. Okay, so we're talking Burbank. We're talking Beverly Hills, you know, that area, yeah. right? Burbank, California. Way the heck down there. Well, there's mountains there. You're right up against the mountains. Yep. And you're about a mile, half a mile from the ocean, okay? Maybe a little bit more. Maybe that's, I, I'm not sure because you're on the freeway, but they're pretty close, the mountain and the ocean. If you had your direct measuring, measuring tape, you could have found out exactly. You know, I'm not kidding. Back in, 19, in the 90s when I was out there, I was driving down the Ventura Freeway, Ventura, Ventura Boulevard. Oh, Ventura. Yeah. I had no idea there was a mountain next to me because there was so much smog. Wow. Well, because that seawater, the, the temperature changes, right. you know, and the air changes, so it traps it next to the mountains. Yep. So that's why I'm saying California did a terrific job of ramping up in a pretty timely fashion reducing the emissions in engines. And I, I equate yeah. that to California. Oh, and it didn't happen in a vacuum. It no. happened because they were looking at a, how do we relieve this issue? Because right? everybody's coughing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. people were going inside to the smoky bars with mm-hmm. R.J. Reynolds people because it was cleaner. <laughs> it was cleaner in there. Going outside. the air was being recycled. Well, down in Texas, I think yeah. it was Austin, Texas, or Texas A&M. This is no shit. Okay, mm-hmm. there's a study they did. And they put some sort of smellographer, some air qualityographer, you know, nah, I want that at, at, at a four at a four busy intersection traffic, whatever. Mm-hmm. That was worse than like being in a coal mine. Really? That, well, because all the exhaust, yeah. and just yeah. all, all the it, different man. everything at the you know just activity basically. Yep. That was there with the concrete and baking it and just the whole thing. When and, I lived in Reno, it was essentially a bowl, you know, with the mountains. Oh, yeah. And so in, there would be sometimes in the winter uh, or like early spring where we'd get this just fog, smog haze. It just would settle. Yeah. You know, it had no place to go. Yeah, absolutely. How far is Tahoe from Reno? It was about a 40-minute drive. That close? Yeah. Okay, so Reno is worth living in. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, you got to have somewhere close to go. You know, Reno is a nice compromise in Nevada between desert and landscape that you might like to look at, mountains and things like that. Well, the the issue with Reno is, is that besides Lake Tahoe, 45 minutes away... You're six hours from everything, right? right. I mean, how yeah, far you're is about, Salt Lake? Oh, geez, nine hours. Okay. But you're like three hours from, you're what? like three, three and a half hours from Tuna San Francisco. Nupa? No, from, from San where? Francisco. Oh, you're that close? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize Yeah, I that. used to make that drive. It was about three and a half, four hour drive. That's yeah. not so bad. No. Okay, I didn't realize it was that It's close. a long, stressful drive though, man, because it's California. So yeah, but you're only four, hour. four hours from wine country then. Yeah. I mean, so you've got, yeah, no, you're better off than Fargo. Yeah, in a lot of ways, Reno was kind of a nice, it well, wasn't Fargo, a huge area, but... Fargo, we North Dakota, things. you're what, three hours from Minneapolis? Yeah, at least. Bismarck, North Dakota? Yeah. Huh? Huh? what, you're two hours from Bismarck. Sioux Falls, South Dakota? Woo! And the best is the place you can't even go, Winnipeg. COVID, you can't go to Winnipeg anymore. There That's goes right. that whole yep. Canadian dream. Oh, well, if you get your passport, I think. Your COVID passport. I'm not... Doing that? No? No, 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 no. Do you have a regular passport? Way too many. What? Do you have a regular passport? You know, it expired. Yeah, I was going to say, mine's, 
I should probably renew it. Just yeah, in we, case, we got to get down that whole path. Yeah. So, all right. What do we got for news, by the way? Do we even start news? Oh, we, we haven't even, we were we haven't even about started news, picking man. through the story. Yeah. So uh, you're exactly right, though. Is they're, they're actually uh, they reference a Denver City Councilman. Um, he's one of the signers on. Oh, the, he's the lead on. on he's this. one of the signers on the statement. And, so he uh, must have been the one one of the uh, kind of the crafters of the bill, so yep. to speak. He said, "We can ban fracking in the city of Denver, but if we don't do this on a national and international scale, we'll continue to destroy our habitability on this planet." Who's that? This is uh, Denver City Councilman Chris Hines, one of the signers of the letter. The Chris collective Hines. Letter. Yep. That is a former Texas Texas really? resident. I believe he's a native of Texas. I believe he went to college in Texas. So as of um, yet, the administration has well, not yet announced an end date for the permitting monitorium. Yeah, I believe he. I believe he's from Texas. Was paralyzed. I'm not sure. And I'm not familiar with him. Um, lives in Colorado now. So you know uh, a lot of people. I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I've Come interviewed about. a lot of people. Yeah, I was going to say just yeah. from that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So you know that really buys into what we've been seeing happen in Colorado and California just in the last couple of weeks of news that we've come across. Uh, What's his know, name again? I'm going to look Chris that up. Hines, H-I-N-D-S. Okay, keep, keep reading the story. Go back to that. Okay, to that one. Well, we're pretty much here at the end. Uh, oh. the, <laughs> the letter is sent to the president about a week before uh, the new nationally determined contribution to greenhound gas admissions hosted summit of world leaders on the 22nd of April. So that's just coming up here. So, yeah, it'll be interesting as it goes forward because one of the things the letter does go into detail is to not just look at the fracking ban side of things, but also how to help transition, there's that word again, people in those industries into cleaner energies. Chris Gaines, he looks just like Garth Brooks. Heinz. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was just kidding. Uh, hook, line, and sinkered you on that oh, one. You got me on that one. Man. All right, Councilman Chris Hines, is it? Yeah, right? Yep. I was right. Okay, so he grew up in rural Texas. Okay. Uh, the only child of a single mother. Okay. He learned the value of hard work watching his mom make ends meet by cleaning houses. You're reading his site yep. or Wikipedia. Uh, I'm reading Denver City Council. Okay. You know, my mother was a cleaning woman, and she died of cancer because of uh, the cleaning products, products we believe. Well, like yeah, that, yeah. She, was, she ate Brussels sprouts for snacks. and I mean, not Brussels sprouts, alfalfa sprouts and... Oh, yeah. Chocolate? Nope. Carob. Wow. Oh, total Shackley nut. You know, that type Man, of thing. She probably liked those freak cakes. Uh, Chris was the first in his family to get a scholarship to college. He graduated from Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas with a degree in computer science. He's worked in software sales, financial planning, blah, blah, blah. On August 26, 2008, Chris... His life's changed fundamentally. That's an interesting way to phrase that. Chris's life changed fundamentally after photographing the Democratic National Convention. Okay. That's interesting. Chris was involved in a motor vehicle crash, which paralyzed him from the chest down. In the decades since, Chris has fought for access to transportation for all. He believes that everyone should have access to the things we need including housing and transportation, regardless of who you are, where you live, who you love, or your ability or disability. That's just like the crude life's motto about what we believe with energy. Yeah. That regardless of who you are, what you look like, Mm -hmm. what sort of sexual orientation you are, what race you are, we believe you should be allowed to use energy. 
everyday energy for everyday people. Exactly. It's well, so, it's like the saying: we all put our pants on the same way. We all flip the light switch, right? Do you think he would come on our show? If I talked British, do you think he'd come on the show? <laughs> no, I do not, old stick. How about if I talked normal? Do you think he'd come on the show? I, have, no, I don't know. I haven't heard your normal voice he's, yet. He's, apparently, he's pretty liberal. Yeah. He's probably a Democrat. What does that matter to us? We don't care. It doesn't matter to us, yeah. but the crude life is pretty specific. Mm-hmm. In some cases, pretty aggressive, pretty frontal. Well, see, I think maybe we should look at trying to get guys like this on, not to not to play a game, of, uh, you know, gotcha or anything like that, but be like, okay, clearly this is happening, or you know, you believe this is happening. So, talk to me about how are we going to get people out of these industries into new industries? You know, it's interesting you say that. Um, so that's what matters at the end of the day. I mean, you and me, the people that work on the the lines, any of these people. At the end of the day, they want to know where am I going to have a stable income. So I, uh, yeah, th- but I, I'd like to get him on because this is actually newsworthy. Absolutely. Okay? And I'm going to sidebar just for a second, and then we'll go to the next news story. Okay. But um, you know, we've we've only really not aired. I think three interviews. Is it okay? Were they one, that controversial? What one was just it was a, it was just a sales call. Right. It was, the guy was pitch. It was it was worse than. You know, late night infomercials because those <laughs> that's are a low bar to clear. Well, those are entertaining. <laughs> yeah, like Doctor Nick Riviera is right. great. Hey, he everybody! There's a Jello mold shaped like Kansas. Oh man, you I know, buy that, that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I love that. Uh, that's great. I, right. I I used to actually watch infomercials at night just over, for that kind oh, of so yeah. fun. So this was obviously not as much fun. This guy was just you know he was Herb Tarlick from Ooh. WKRP in Cincinnati with the checkered jacket you know the chuck and jiver type you know yeah snake oil salesman carpet bagger whatever you mm-hmm. want to call them okay so i didn't air it because i didn't want that crap associated with my name right okay um another interview was because it was bad and i emailed it to the guy and i called him i said listen i really want your family to listen to this people that will listen to mm-hmm. 30 minutes of you talking about oil and gas stuff because sure. obviously not your kids but you know buy your no, wife I, dinner yeah i was gonna say his kids <laughs> probably really thanked you for that so anyway the point was is that just don't have anybody else listen to it because you were that bad wow like it was that many ums and it was that many that's a polite letdown that's a yeah clearly and, you've done this before right and so he called me uh-huh. the following monday thanked me profusely thanks for not putting that on for not putting it on and just in that and i said listen i'm not here to get anybody sued get anybody in trouble you know that's or of make thing. anybody look bad on purpose right, right? That, that's you not know? that's not our gig no that's not what we're here we're here to do we're here to empower people we want to make people feel better do you know how many first timers we've been for interviews yeah I've had more people tell me that I was their first time interview. <laughs> Flashbacks that to high school lockers. Just I was came just, out of my mouth, didn't yeah, it? Okay. Yeah, that was brilliant. The last interview that I didn't use was actually done about a year ago in May. About May. Wait a minute. You interviewed me last year. And it was with city council member Mike Williams. Okay, sweet. Not He's me. no longer city council member, but he was. Are you, is the interview a reason for that? There, well, there was a couple of reasons for this, actually. To and, the press? Well, we'll talk about this okay. right now. Yeah, I, I don't want to talk too much about this because I don't want to get on a whole different tangent. Plus, we're not going to ever get to hear the interview. Okay, so, so 
I'm not sure if you're aware or not, but have you ever, um, if you were to walk in downtown Fargo, mm-hmm. okay, in downtown Fargo, which is the largest city in North Dakota, where the voting population comes from, which is, you know, kind of known as the Boulder or the Austin of North Dakota, right? right. The Blue Bastion. And, and, the, and the Bakken, I think, is the second largest oil and gas play. So mm-hmm. it's not small potatoes. It's yeah. medium-sized potatoes. That's some nice, fat potatoes. So when you're walking in downtown Fargo and Island Park, the big park downtown where there's an event every single night, it's where the police ball, uh, the picnics are when mm-hmm. the police have the big picnics. It's where the protest rallies are now. They've yeah. gotten everybody down there now. What's the big 40, 50-foot mural that everybody can see in downtown Fargo? It's not me. I'm thinking it's, uh, hold on, Greta? It's Greta. Greta Thunberg, who's never set foot in Fargo, Moorhead. Okay? She was in Bismarck because of the Dakota Access Pipeline protest. Mm. Okay? Or was it the Keystone? Dakota Access. It was Dakota Access. I get them all mixed up. And... We got a lot of pipelines. Up I here. know, and they all run through <laughs> it's, North it's, Dakota. It's kind of our thing. So we have this big, giant, fifty-foot mural. I like how I just put twenty feet on there. I did. I just yeah. It keeps. Why does it keep getting bigger each time? <laughs> it's a hundred-foot Godzilla breathing fire from the side of a building. There's a little bit of a fishing story here. That's why we work hard I was later. Say yeah. That stuff's on record. So we have this big seventy-five foot mural <laughs> of Greta in downtown Fargo. And um, is it intimidating? And you what? can see it clear as day from Island Park, right? And so it's on the back of uh, one of the breweries. And you got a picture of Fargo for those that don't know. There's not a lot of buildings above about five or six stories. No, not in this part of town either. Part of town, yeah. No, well, that's actually a law. I think it has to do with nothing can be bigger than the state capital. Yeah, you, I, you I really sure actually hate believe to that. Block out that endless flat horizon we all love to look at. So no, I, I really believe it's a law. I'm totally serious. <laughs> I bet. Actually, I'm sure it's a all, all these thing. like old school boiler guys and concrete guys. Right. They always tell me that at the old bars, you know, at the rural bars. Mm-hmm. That's because it's a law. You can't have anything bigger than the state capital. Like, I'm the dumb shit. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. like I'm the dumb college kid yeah. that doesn't know any better. That's More why like I you just, in class that's that That's why day, I just snarked it to you. Like, what you, <laughs> I'm passing that energy on to you. Okay, so anyway, uh, Mike Williams, I interviewed him right in front of the mural. Okay. Okay, because the, there's a story here. Okay, there's a story here. It was supposed to be in Bismarck. I remember hearing about that. And there was protest against it, or well, death threats. Oh, so that's a, that's a yeah, that's a yeah protest on this poor like baker right. that was going to put it on his. Some guy was going to put like a, I think he was a baker, mm-hmm. and he was going to put it on his uh, you know, brick building, you know, alley, some alley that nobody walks down. Well, everybody had fu money, and when you got fu money, it comes out. Well, death threats and, you know, poor guys trying to sell cinnamon buns. And all he was trying to do was help out as some artist. Right. This guy, no idea what's going on with politics. Just was trying to help the art community out. Yeah, he's probably like, why does everybody hate a teenage girl? So he ends up in the news. He's like, nope, shut it down. Yeah. I'm out of here. (laughs) I text half a dozen friends of mine in the media. I said, uh, bet you guys a beer, wine, 
drink, you know, whatever, mm. beverage, barley pop. <laughs> I'll bet you guys, and I said, Mike Williams will bring it to Fargo. Called it out by name. Wow. Okay? How long after, how long did that well, you take? You got to know Mike Williams, man. You got, I mean, that guy, he's, he's the guy who brought the G20 Summit to Fargo, that whole, uh, um, you know, the, the bike lanes. And right. you got to have uh, windmills and on the library and all that. He's been on that since Ot four, okay. Ot dickety four, Ot huh? Dickety that four, far man. back. So lo and behold, two days later, front page of the paper. Bada bing, bada boom. Mike Williams bringing the Greta thing to downtown Fargo. See, that's brilliant. That's capitalizing on the publicity. So, well, and that's exactly right. Yep. And in Mike's defense, because I know Mike, he's leading with his heart. Mm-hmm. He ran. He ran as a uh, state representative, as an independent, even though he's a Democrat. He doesn't believe in political parties yeah. when it comes to politics. And so guys like that, they don't tend to get far. He got his ass kicked. Yeah, okay. unfortunately, man. City, city commission won 90% of the votes. Went out in the real world where politics is a little bit you know, yeah. R&D. Yeah. Got his ass kicked, yeah. even though... He's like one of the most liked guys. Yeah. Okay. Well, you get the same people that would have voted for him for city council being like a hell no vote when he starts That's exactly for right. Else. Yeah. The same people that said yes, we want you on our city council said yeah. hell no, we don't want you going to the exactly. state. Exactly. Well, you, you need a D, not, well, a, that, not an I. That's the problem. Is is it like if you've got a D or an R or an I, it automatically pigeonholes you. That's why Bernie Sanders is so remarkable because he was an independent for this whole career. Yeah. You know, as a self. Proclaimed dude, socialist dude, he's or like whatever. A butterfly man, duck and weave, duck and so weave. So I interviewed Mike Williams, probably a half hour, right below this giant fifty thousand foot mural. Yeah, it was at least one hundred and fifty thousand. Right, feet. it went yeah. to the moon. Right, yeah. At this point, I'm looking up. It <laughs> it went to the moon. So definitely the largest building in Fargo. And so I'm looking at this thing, and I'm going, and I get done with the interview, and and we talk, we actually talk about his uh, independent run mm-hmm. and why he didn't become a democrat and i kind of preface it about you know he's kind of the crazy environmentalist guy you know he's our own mike gravel slash bernie sanders totally absolutely uh but for me i've known him he his heart's in the right place Mm -hmm. so i'll always i'll always give him the time of day him and i kind of got into it a little bit because he's trying to tell me that that greta thunberg is not political i will not accept that He's trying to say that it's art. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, that, that, that's political, man. And he's like, no, it's art. And so... It's political it, art. It, it was a little uncomfortable because I allowed the interview to continue mm-hmm. out of politeness. Um, I didn't want to. Yeah. Because I, 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 I didn't agree with him. Yeah. That, no, 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 no. This is a major difference here that you, you are trying to advance... <laughs> your discussion and narrative of rationale why we've got a big 300-foot mural in downtown Fargo of Greta Thunberg, and you're saying it's not political. I'm saying it is right before the... It was before the election, too, yeah. with Trump. It was the summer before the election. Mm-hmm. And anyway, after, after the interview was done, um, I decided not to air it because I just didn't think there was more positive than negative well you know it's it's clearly that way if you'd put a, a, a 450 me. foot mural of trump on that wall <laughs> you'd have the same reaction if you put a 532 foot mural of alf on that wall who's going to give a crap except for the people that go 
the hell's an ALF? I actually said the same thing. I really? said the same thing. Um, any any kind, and this was off the air because uh, when I spoke in 2019 in July, I believe it was 2019. Yeah. Maybe it was 18. Dickie, I think it was 18. Dickie 2018. 18. I spoke in Gillette, Wyoming, uh, on a panel, and I got a hat. Uh, it was a uh, Donald Trump red. I think oh, I remember this one. That's the new name, right? Donald Trump red. <laughs> it's not scarlet red. It's not crimson red. If he hasn't trademarked that yet, Donald I, Trump he needs red. to get on that. And Donald Trump font, make right. America great yep. font. The make America great font. So I was given a hat and it said, uh, make energy great again. Yeah. And it looked, of course, just like make America great again. I like the hat. It fit well. I thought it was kind of cool. It looked nice. I need more red in my life. I need a little more flash. Well, and it's designed to get attention. And when you wear it through the state of Montana, the police wave at you. They right. don't pull you over. <laughs> Colorado, you got to put a different hat we'll on. Put a different you, hat you put on. the Bernie Sanders hat on. Never give up hope. I was going to say, does he have a hat? Is there a Bernie <laughs> hat? in Weld County. You can wear the Trump hat in Weld County. <laughs> you just can't, you know, when you get to anywhere else. So, anywho. Uh, God, your get, car must be full of stuff, man. I got five hats <laughs> got going, like man. Five, you're, da- you're literally wearing all the hats in this company. <laughs> you, to, you know, you're driving through Oklahoma, put the Herschel Walker. That's Georgia. Sorry, I was going to say that. You better get those Barry right, Sanders, man. Sanders, Thurman Thomas. Okay, get the jerseys on. I was going to say, just go jerseys. Baker Mayfield. Oh, no, Baker. that gets you arrested. No. Yeah, that'll get you beat up. All man. right. So, anyway, get, getting back to um, where I was going with the story, which is the interview didn't air. And I was getting back to kind of the, the Trump thing, you know, with the hat and everything. Yeah. So I, I was wearing, you know, I had the hat. I, br- I, I would always bring the keep energy great hat with me or make energy great again. It's a prop. You know, it's hat. a conversation starter. Absolutely. You know, type of a thing. And I wear it. And um, he actually asked me not to wear it in photographs with him because the artist was very sensitive to the whole thing. As artists okay? are, generally. And, and it's no problem. You know, respect, respect, sure. respect. Yeah, absolutely. But then he went on to say it wasn't political. Right. Okay. And so here I said to him about how, you know, it's interesting that the hat is political. And it's a hat that actually says, keep energy great or make energy, make great, energy again. great again. It's not even a political hat. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's designed to be kind of an offhanded one, but it's actually not. It's, yeah. it's kind of a, it's, it's a, uh, a, a coattail rider. Yeah, it's you know? basically it's cashing in on that sort yeah. of recognizable. Yeah, it's normal. Yeah, but it's not. It's not that right. Yeah. So, um, I thought it was great for that reason. So he didn't want to have you with the hat. And then uh, he also brought up in the interview that uh, Governor Doug Burgum mm-hmm. has endorsed that mural. I do remember that too. Yeah, and he said it was art. Mm-hmm. So that was his argument. That it's not political because Doug Burgum, Governor Doug Burgum, said it's art. Okay, well, that doesn't mean I say it's not. You no. Know? And, and, and again, this is going on. So, and that's a good I thing for Burgum to, him, to I said, say. I said, so here the hat is political. That mural is not. What about, and you said the elf one, you know, the big yeah. giant mural of elf. Yeah. So anyway, it just turned into a whole different thing. And, well, it um, depends on what you believe in. You know, if you are... Somebody who looks at Greta Thunberg as you know a symbol of a movement, then you might not feel it's all that political because you're looking at it from the point of view of it's climate change, it's science, it's baked in, it's you know da 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 da. Where obviously it's political to other people. It's interesting. So, but anyway, Alf is not political. Those are the uh, three interviews that did not air. 
here at the crude life um because most times you know honestly most yeah. people that we have on they know what they're talking about oh yeah you're they're talking experts. three interviews out so, of hundreds thousands thousands yeah. i didn't want to step on anything it's okay <laughs> all right we're, we're doing news we're probably yeah, doing, we're doing at least one news. more okay this is from oilprice.com this is oil and gas bankruptcies are jumping despite the rise in crude prices oh what we pontificated last week yeah yeah so the oil Shale and gas sector profit strikes again currently enjoying a mini boom cycle as economies gradually reopen and oil demands begin to return to a semblance of normalcy the oil markets are in an upbeat mood once again with oil futures trading sharply higher on wednesday all right let's just end this story right now okay here's why that's this is a propaganda story okay this is a propaganda story uh no offense oilprice.com oilprice.com Oilprice.com. Okay. No offense, they do a good job. They're uh, most they do a lot of regurgitation, so I don't know if this is their original or if this is from someone else. But w- the more I processed this weekend, mm-hmm. the more I processed about the zombie wells. Okay. Yeah, that was interesting. So think about what's going on here. You have COVID money and tax money being stimulus stimulied through the government and banks. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't care if it's coming through the banks. Those banks got the money from the government. So it started with the government as a stimulus. Yeah. Okay. Ended up going to different companies in all kinds of different areas. Mm -hmm. In this case with zombie wells, that money is going, in the case of North Dakota, specifically some of that money went to just cap or... yeah. To keep zombie wells going, which yeah. is just pay the interest mm-hmm. to just keep it around, you know, that sort of thing. It's kind of like... Cheaper than capping it, cheaper right. than working it. We, it, it, it. we do it all the time in business. Yeah. Just, you know, just stay afloat and hopefully you don't move ahead. You don't move backwards. You just stay in that area mm-hmm. and that's the way... To, and so that's what the government essentially did. They gave you kick the can money. When you said 7,000 zombie wells, was that the number? Yeah, that was the number we were looking at. And I think that was just, just for Texas in the Permian. and New Mexico. Yeah, just, yeah in the Permian. Yeah, That's, just in the Permian. Yeah. Permian is part of New Mexico and Texas, yeah. right? I, that was not the east side, which is the Eagleford and the Haynesville. Yeah. Okay. That was just the Permian. 7,000 wells yeah. that are being managed. The marketplace is being managed by the government. Yeah. So if that money stops, boom goes the dynamite. Yeah, and it sounds like that was right. Over, yeah, that was that was over a thousand different companies accounting How for the seven thousand. The elected officials not coming out and and warning people of this. How is it that the petroleum groups, councils, alliances? Is there uh, still one of those? Those whatever they are. How are they not coming out and talking about this? I, am am I the only one that thinks this is kind of a big deal? Well, no. I mean, I, there's got to be somebody out there because they were writing about it. But yeah, it's like, it does seem to be kind of being brushed over. They're talking here about the amount of aggregate debt that is held by companies, oil and gas companies. And it's mostly smaller operators this time around, as opposed to the last time, the re- Great Recession, right? Uh, so they're looking at, it's like 50 to $60 million in debt. And so the number of companies that are filing bankruptcy now is just out of control. This summer is going to be a bloodbath. Well, this leads into that zombie well thing because you got all those companies that are basically abandoning those wells, right? That's not even the wells that are 
quote, quote, abandoned, or what's the other one? Orphaned, right? Orphaned. Yeah. 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 So you've got that, and then you've got... That's a whole different thing, though. Yeah, but I mean, it's... That's why I didn't like that story. It's like you've got good pricing, but... That story that talked about the zombie wells, they were they were really associating them more with orphan and yeah and um, abandoned wells. Yeah, it was kind of a when, fuzzy when all the zombie well is is a transition mm-hmm. to an orphan or a uh, ab- abandoned well. Yeah, and that's pretty cut and dry. Because a zombie, well, you still know who owns it. It's still on the book. Yeah, yeah you know a, who the tr- owner yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. An abandoned or an orphan. Orphan, you have no idea anymore. That, yeah. was, that was back in 18 dickety too. Yeah, I guess Upper uh, New York has those, yeah, a lot of those. Yeah, in Ohio, yeah. you know, back in Titusville where they found the first oil, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. You got where they had rock. Right, that rock, was, that's uh, how they capped it. Totally. <laughs> just Where is it? Oh, we put a stump on it. It's out there. You see where that church fell in? That's that's now we we just moved that to plug the well. I mean, right? Yeah, that's the what church they did. fell in and plugged the well. <laughs> Jesus, that was the easiest way to do it back then. Well, there wasn't. That was the thing I read about it. They was didn't have cranes. There wasn't a a, a standard way. It well, was no. fill it with sand. It was fill it with rock. It was dump trees on it. I mean, yeah. I don't know. People could make fun of hillbillies all they want. It's practical. They're making moonshine, and I can't do that. Yeah, now that's chemistry, man. That's what I'm saying. They're that's doing chemistry saying. and yeah. engineering that would make make me look it's like an interesting how, income poop. Yeah, but Al, if you didn't have again, you don't have that pressure. Just like income with the car thing, duty. If all of a sudden you didn't have any wine, I bet you a week from now you'd be making toilet wine. That's probably true. Probably make a choke cherry palatable. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think the big story here is these uh, these these zombie wells and the seven thousand ones that are paying the debt. The bigger story there is the fact that this is all being managed by the government now. So, at, at the oil and gas companies have never hid from the fact that they don't lose money; they shut it down. Yeah. I mean, that's so anybody that oops acts surprised. It's on you, pal. Yeah, it's on you. Well, and it's not. I mean, from what we've been looking at it, with the debt, with the bankruptcies, with the zombie wells, is that there's going to be a whole raft of what are called smaller operators. Now, they don't really define that for me. I don't know what that means. Is a smaller operator a company of you know five people, fifty people? Oh, I think anybody not in the people. top fifty is, is vulnerable. Well, see, yeah, and and so yeah. it, it looks like. You know, on one side, if you're in the larger picture, the 5,000 foot yeah. view, you're going, cool, oil's going up. That means operators are going to get back in the game, money's going to be made, but there's a whole bunch of people downstream that are just going to get. Would you wiped like out. a sneak preview of our work hard interview coming up in just about? Ooh. Oh, we should have started it 10 minutes ago. Hopefully they're so not waiting. It, <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're all, it's all anticipation with the crude life audience. <laughs> Trust me. The emails that come in, oh boy, when's the next show coming out? Can hardly wait. Uh, okay, so uh, U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer, last question I asked him is, um, you know, what should people know? What should people think about? Yeah. You know the first thing he said? Hmm. Get to know your banker better. Dude, that was the first thing he said. That's comforting. I, it might have been the second, but that's the first thing I, re- I retained yeah. was that. and Exactly. Because that's where the money's going to come from. And that's from. what I'm hearing here. So if you're a zombie well... Mm-hmm. Or you're somebody that's living on essentially the banker government relationship. Mm-hmm. 
Get to know your banker better. Well, you know, I'd just be really curious. What are they going to do if there's like this cascade of bankruptcies and there's all this debt that's just basically out there? What are they going to do? Oh, go build solar and wind. They're fine. (laughs) What's the next story? Well, the next one actually is from the Washington Street Journal. And I don't have... W Street. Wall Street. I don't have full access to it. But interesting story. Apparently... One of the things going on specifically in Texas is landmen, you know, people that go yeah. out. And they, yeah, landmen. So, yeah, I didn't know the term for it, but these are the people that go out and they hunt down uh, places, uh, potential oil deposits. Uh, Very diverse deposits. folks. Yep. Yeah, they got to know a lot about uh, surveys and families and. Yeah, you're making History a lot of house and, calls, yeah, you're, you're offering help, payments, yeah. you're getting to know the people. You're so like a basically, super realtor. he started this this guy they're talking about from Texas named Carter Cullum, started a business in 2006, a couple of years before the shale boom took off. Um, basically, pushed prices for drilling rights in East Texas to more than $15,000 an acre, up from around 250. So He's earning six figures income. Things are good. He describes it as being in the wild, wild west. He's 39 years old. Uh, but basically, uh, being a landman nowadays is you know, very spotty. So what they're talking about is this transition, like some of the people you've been talking to, where they're looking at setting up. Now they're looking for good sites for solar and wind. Oh, that's the transition they are making. So if I'm a propaganda alert on this, <laughs> which I do believe the Wall Street Journal participates in time to time, this is a story that is to help educate landmen in the option of how to transition <laughs> into wind right. and to solar. Right. Yeah. Because here's one or two people we found in the world of journalism, that's all you need. You need one or two people. You know, two's great, three's the best. Right. Because nobody can argue. Three's three. a fact. At that well, point. Yeah. yeah. You got three different people now across the United States that are going to wind and solar. Everybody's doing it now. Yeah. So I think that's more about uh, uh, kind of a um, social engineering story. Well, he's talking this guy, this you know, that had this company since two thousand and six. He's talking about how you know it's 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 a hustle now. It's a total hustle. He's just trying to get out there and find wind and solar mm-hmm. fields. You know, is what they're calling. So it's yeah, you know, he, he's trying to transition or whatever you want to call it into something else, and maybe that's where it's going to go. Well, what's what's that's different, where the money's going to be um, the federal money at least. The reason I say it's probably a, more of a social engineering is one that's where the the, the federal money is going. Number two, yeah. Wall Street Journal obviously is is very much in tune to Washington D.C. and where they want things to go. Mm-hmm. And number three, we did a story a couple of weeks ago with Mike Renfrow, Rentfrow with Blue Boat Subsea. Okay, and he has transitioned from oil and gas. That's right. To wind, after 29 years, yeah. he went, uh, within one year, went from 100% oil and gas to 20% oil and gas, 80% wind. Wow. Because that's where all the subsidies and contracts were. Yeah. And we did not search for that story. That story happened organically, whereas I believe the Wall Street Journal searched for that story and probably sure. had it you know, in a newsroom. They fleshed it out a few times, tried to find some few things, whereas we just stumbled upon it because, oh, here's a guy that, uh, you know, what was he doing? 
pipeline, underwater pipelines. Yeah. I interviewed, I actually reached out to him because he was offshore. Uh, that was the whole initial thing, right? Yeah. We're looking we, for offshore. We, we need yeah. some offshore guys yeah. because we do yeah. all this onshore yeah. stuff and let's get, let's have some fun. Oh, we had the offshore caterer. I was just going to say that was an awesome show. I had that, no idea how that worked. That's how it all started. Yeah. So we organically came across a legitimate news story, which mm. is here's a guy who's worked in oil and gas for 29 years, but because of the way the market is and the way that the social in subsidies is social engineering, no question about it. Subsidies is controlling the marketplace. It's social engineering. I I don't care if you're for it or against it. Doesn't matter. That's not what I'm talking about here. I wonder if, is he's the norm? You know, is he becoming more the norm? Because you see something like this now from the wall street journal and you start going, okay, so not the norm. He's the momentum. Yeah. It's the momentum, and that's what I mean by social engineering, is that they're pushing the momentum. At the end of the day, you're manufacturing the consent to yourself. And you're manufacturing the work. None of us want to be watched on camera 24-7, but we'll carry our cell phones with us. Right. We we manufacture a lot of the stuff ourselves. We do it to ourselves. It's called manufactured consent, and it's a way for... To justify things people to in yourself. power, basically, yeah. to get you to do it. Yeah, yeah. You, just, you know, it's you know, it's a, a very loose extortion. You know, this is very loose. Well, you know, go back to your uh, uh, your newspaper boy story, and it's the same thing. It really is. It's that sort of just uh, soft or almost passive, constant exploitation. Yeah, it's baked I mean, into the system. I mean, it's there's a fine line between you know either give us some money or your place is going to burn down. Yeah, and Here's five bucks for an A. At the end of the day, it's kind of the same thing. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's just different levels. Different levels just of different extortion. Different levels. So yeah. that's all we're talking about here, folks. <laughs> we're not trying to get, you know. Find your there. level of extortion. It sounds like a Zen thing, man. I'm in it. I'm that's like it. when I remember George Carlin was doing his special and he was talking about selling out and all. He's tired of these celebrities selling out and all this different stuff. And then he paused and he goes, yeah, I know I do these AT and T phone commercials, but you got to figure that shit out for yourself, folks. <laughs> we all have different levels. <laughs> all right, we'll see you tomorrow, folks. Well, the circuit holds the power of the hour, and the light switch turns your tongue sour. There's no way to explain how the got that way. It's the same reason the sky's blue. Believe in two And there's only you Cuddle in With a blanket There's a certain thing That I hear ring And that's You got your mind blown The music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show Play Hard, Work Hard Is by the Moody River Band I wanna show you something That's never been shown You mind blown Your mind blown And that's all Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. It's sponsored in part by Chewy Paws. All natural elk, deer, moose, and caribou antler chews for dogs. USA sourced premium quality and no preservatives. They love what we do in oil and gas and all profits go to the dogs. That's Chewy Paws. Check out their website, ChewyPaws.com. That's Chewy Paws with a Z.com.
The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. Is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Time now to work hard on the Swan Energy phone lines. Being joined now by U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer, and we're going to talk about uh, a couple things here, the Dakota Access Pipeline, as well as energy infrastructure slash critical infrastructure and then also some uh, economic talk, which is going to talk about some banking and access to banking as well. Uh, U.S. Senator Kramer, how are you doing today? Well, I'm doing very well, thanks, Jason. I'm uh, back in Bismarck for uh, for a day uh, and have a grandson with a birthday this weekend, so that's going to be great before I have to go back to the swamp on Monday morning. Well, good. At least you'll be back for a little bit of a birthday cake, a little celebration. I, do they do birthday cakes anymore, or is there problems with birthday cake these days? <laughs> well, um, actually, uh, no, we like to do birthday cakes in our family. And uh, cupcakes are oftentimes the, the new birthday cake, but that's okay with me, uh, as long as it's got thick frosting. We did that for my son, uh, cupcakes one year, where it's like 30 cupcakes and then one old big slather of frosting over the top, and that was a big hit. People really liked that a lot, so uh, I thought that was kind of cool. You bet. Well, let's talk about the Dakota Access Pipeline a little bit. That's been popping up in the Everyone news. Everyone is. Yeah, a lot popping up in the news a little bit, and, you know, we're all kinds of different angles going this way and that way. Where, where are we at with it, and uh, what should people be be taking a look at and concerned about? Well, you know, here's where we are. It's, it's a, in a funny place. Maybe the best way for me would be to back up a little bit. So January 26th of this year, you might recall that the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, three-judge panel, upheld the, uh, the vacating the Dakota Access Pipeline easement under um, the Missouri River, and then the requirement for the Corps to complete the, the environmental impact statement. So that environmental impact statement was the moving goalpost from a couple of years ago uh, by Judge Bosberg, um, and, and uh, he tried to shut the pipeline down then, the... the, uh, the, the uh, D.C. Circuit said, no, you don't have you know, enough information to do that, but the EIS is fine, remanded it back to him. Um, now he wants to shut the pipeline down, but he needs to get have findings. So, so January 26th, that when, when the uh, Court of Appeals upheld the, upheld the, the uh, vacating of the easement, they remanded it back to Judge Bosberg, said, you can, you can order the pipeline shut down if you want, but you've got to ha- have a hearing and get findings. Um, 
he couldn't order the pipeline to be shut down without without uh, the findings necessary for the inject, injunctive relief. So on January 27th, he scheduled a February 10th status hearing to discuss the, the Court of Appeals decision and, and how the court expects to proceed given the vacating of the easement. easement. And this is a Milwaukee, Jason, and I'm not an attorney, but this is significant because remember the core would have, you know, the, it's the core that's the landlord. They're the defendant here. And so the judge wanted to get the core in front of him and find out how, or he was required to find out um, how they would proceed. So at the request of the Department of Justice, Judge Bosberg delayed that, that February 10th um, status hearing until April 9th so that the new Biden administration could be briefed on the case. Now, that's a bit of a problem. That sent up a red flag for me because the DOJ is not supposed to be political. Um, the, the legal standards been set. Um, this case has been going on for a long time. They shouldn't need to consult, the, quote, the administration. They are the administration. They're the legal part of the administration. Anyway, during this, this status hearing on February or on April 9th, the DOJ declined to take any enforcement action against Apple. In other words, shut down the operation. As, so as the pipeline continues to operate under the requirements of its easement. Bosberg, the judge then, and the tribe's legal counsel were very disappointed by this, which leaves the judge to determine um, whether DAPL should continue to operate. DAPL was given until April 19th, so we're obviously coming up on that next week. Um, they were given until April 19th to update information to support its position to continue operating with the tribes able to file a reply brief. Um, on the 12th of April, DAPL requested that the Court of Appeals we hear their case, which is a long shot, and um, DOJ didn't make that request. <clears throat> so that's an appeal, to what's called in, uh, an appeal in banc. In other words, they want the entire D.C. Circuit, not just a three-judge panel, to consider it. Anyway, at the August uh, 26, 2020 meeting that I had with Colonel Himes, the course said that they would allow DAPL to continue operating, potentially, with additional monitoring requirements uh, at the uh, Missouri River Crossing while they complete their EIS. Um, at the tribe's request, the, the court granted cooperating agency, I put that in quotes, cooperating agency status for the purposes of the environmental impact statement to the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, the Yankton Sioux, the Cheyenne River Sioux, and the Ogallala Sioux Tribes. And that, what that does, this is not a government-to-government -government consultation, but it grants them an active role in preparing the EIS beyond merely submitting comments in government-to-government consultation. So it's, it's a greater... Uh, status than government to government, so their status based on is based on specialized expertise that the tribes may possess in areas of like religious and culturally significant practices, uh, hunting and fishing practices, socioeconomics, environmental justice, and the and the, the letter outlines this timeline of collaboration from a kickoff meeting held April first to reviewing the final EIS and comments provided by the Corps by January twenty eighth of next year. Okay, and that's a big big backdrop, but. And, uh, and uh, ETP, uh, uh, Energy Transfer Partners, has also requested that any and all assistance that's getting the Mandan, Hidatsa, and Arikara Nation to, to intervene in the lawsuit, so that they would like MHA to intervene. MHA did issue a public statement expressing concern that if DAPL was to shut down, um, then, and then you know they'd have some problems, and they asked for uh, formal government-to-government -government consultation with the Corps regarding this continuation of operation. Um, so about 60% of Mandan, Hidatsa, Rikara oil is transported by 
dapple and chairman fox has indicated that they're expressing that their energy development views with the administration so um so they're going to get their consultation process they've been met at hidasa ricker and that that's where we are today so uh, jason next week judge boseberg i believe um without a lot more information is probably going to do what he's always wanted to do and that's to shut the pipeline down temporarily but that kicks in a whole bunch of other things well, let's talk about that for a second. I don't know if you're uh-huh. if you're able to speculate or not, but um, sure. there's there's a couple ways that this is going to go. Number one, the 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 energy is going to keep flowing, and the critical infrastructure is going to be is going to be deemed critical, and you know the, the America is going to work as it's going to work. The other way is we're going to have some problems, and and I I, I see it going a couple ways. Number one. There's going to be some issues with jobs. That's that's number one. I'll, you know more about that than me because all I know is that it's that's a no-brainer. You know the, the other part is there. There's a whole emission side to this where um, <laughs> uh, when when we're looking at the people are trying to shut this down in the name of uh-huh. uh, environmental climate activism, when what they're going to do is just put everything on on the road and rails, aren't they? Crazy, isn't it? Well, yes. yeah, talk so, to me. Okay, let's, let's talk some civility here. What's going on? <laughs> common sense. That's called common sense. And you're not allowed to apply common sense here, Jason. Don't you know? So you're, you're exactly right. The irony is so rich. Jason, if I might just for a moment speak to the, the point of left-wing environmental activism. What these folks want to do is what they really are doing, whether they want to or not, if they believe in global climate change and the contribution of greenhouse gas emissions to that, in other words, and, and people uh, uh, contributing, they're doing everything backwards. They're, they're simply transferring their guilt to other countries. They're going to make us more dependent, not less dependent, on oil from other places that produce it with much more greenhouse gas emissions they're not going to change the, the demand side of the formula at all. And then with regard to transferring you know, the movement of, of say, Madan Hidatsa Rikara Nation, MHA Nation's oil, 60% of which goes, goes on uh, DAPL now, transferring it to trucks and to, to rail, much greater, <clears throat> double or more greater greenhouse gas emissions <clears throat> that would be emitted as a result of, of shutting down the pipeline. So you're exactly right. The other thing to, to keep in mind is if Judge Boesberg orders the Corps of Engineers to, to exercise the vacating of the easement then by shutting down the pipeline, and remember, it's the Corps of Engineers' action after that that would actually lead to shutting down the pipeline. That's significant for this reason. We often think of the Code Access Pipeline as the defendant. You might think of, of, uh, of um, MHA Nation as a... Um, you know, an intervener, although they're not at this point, but they're certainly an interested party, so they would be a defendant. State of North Dakota could be a defendant um, in all of this because of the loss of, well, two things, loss of revenue and the fact that it's the state of North Dakota that has the authority over citing a pipeline. That's why the, that's why it's cited where it's cited by the the, uh, the Public Service Commission and with their expertise, expertise and their legal standing. All of that's to say if the Corps of Engineers exercises the judge's order to shut down the pipeline. They then ordered Dakota Access Pipeline to shut down the pipeline. It would take weeks to do that. They'd have to determine what the process would be for doing that. They have that authority. And then DAPL and the state of North Dakota and and uh, MHA Nation would all respond 
to that order, not to Judge Bosberg, not to the D.C. Circuit, but they could file their own injunction, their own request for a preliminary injunction for, for relief or, or permanent, which would hopefully lead to a permanent um, relief. So there are a number of ways this could go. I believe, Jason, that the pipeline may be ordered to be shut down. I'm, I'm, you know, I would bet, if I was a betting person, I'd probably bet on that. But I don't believe the pipeline will get shut down. I just think, to your point, what's going to happen. The critical infrastructure argument that you make is a solid one. I just don't know. That, remember, these definitions are always flexible depending on who you're talking to. And um, you already pointed out gross inconsistencies and the hypocrisy in the whole movement of environmental justice. Yeah, that is one thing. It depends on whose courtroom you're in. You know, they can... Right. They, right. They, they, we've seen it all before. My courtroom, my rules. So that's how it goes sometimes. Yep. And just remember, and this is where people should be encouraged, um, that during Donald Trump's four years and Mitch McConnell's term as majority leader, he nominated and we confirmed over 150 uh, federal district judges, 53 um, appellate judges, and three Supreme Court justices who are conservative, who, who believe in states' rights and the rights of the individual and free commerce. And so um, I like our chances both in the short run and the long run. So if the judge were to order a shutdown, they don't shut it down the next day. It, it, there's, right. And what you're saying is that there might even be enough appeals and, and other people coming to the table that it might not even shut down in the end to begin with, to end with. That's what I'm, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That's ex- to begin with or end with, that's exactly what I'm saying. Because you can change venues if somebody else is suing, because the Bozberg decision and the D.C. Circuit decision is based on um, the easement issue. But the, but, um, and, and this, the, 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 uh, the lawsuit by Earth Justice on behalf of the, uh, of the Standing Rock nation. So uh, suddenly, if the court shuts the pipeline down, you've got new defendants, new plaintiffs, really, that could emerge, and I would expect would emerge. And that would be perhaps in the courtroom in Bismarck or Fargo. Obviously, there'd be tremendous costs, not only to the companies and the construction companies and the workers and et cetera, but my guess is that the, the partners involved, uh, uh, Energy Transfer, is it, is it Phillips and Marathon and en- Enbridge? Those are the other ones, right? There are others, yeah. Yeah, number, sure. number no. of partners involved, but uh, I did see some sort of figures that it would, you know, just to even drain it and go through that whole process, I mean, that's... You're talking public companies that, you know, that's real costs here, people. I mean, not only is it going to shift the, shift the uh, um, cash flow of, of, of these companies, but then they got to go and, and turn around and, and, and use it to, you know, reclaim, if you will, do the reclamation. To reclaim and then, and, then, and then reroute the, the pipeline. Because yeah. one of the considerations in the environmental impact statement that they're forced to do, remember, energy transfer partners and, and, their, and their partners, built the Dakota Access Pipeline in that place because that's where they were legally, that's where their legal easement is. That's what was granted to them. That was, that was a legal process both at the state and the federal level. So, so one of the considerations is to consider another route. Uh, and by the way, specifically, it was, it was brought to them by 
the the uh, one of the politicos at the Corps of Engineers that they considered this northern route that had previously been considered, and that northern route would in, would be upstream from another thousands of people, including thousands of Native Americans, would be in, would be further downstream from from this pipeline. So if that's their concern, this is an, again another rich irony and inconsistency, if if not a hypocrisy. So. Um, yeah, there'd be a lot of costs. Plus, the biggest problem for a lot of us is it it stifles investment in drilling. It, it would stifle investment in drilling at the MHA Nation and McKenzie County and Williams County and all, all of the other counties uh, that enjoy the uh, the riches of the Bakken. And remember, too, that the environmental impact statement that would continue going on and it will be done a year by a year from now, in all likelihood, it's a environmental impact study not only on the current operation of the of the code access pipeline, which has been operating safely and efficiently for four years now, Jason, but their their um, expansion from about five hundred seventy thousand barrels per day to one point one million barrels per day, so that that's going to attract a lot more drilling and a lot more production, and that's an energy security, national security, economic security benefit that will go completely the other way. There's a, we're already suffering a little bit from from um, uncertainty because this thing's been wrapped up in court for so long. You know, we've been covering the Meridian Energy Group and uh, the Davis Refinery and just some of the some of the legal battles. I mean, they've spent probably an additional two years fighting a lot of climate activists and that sort of thing. And uh, that really know how to work the system very well, by the way. They do. Um, they do. But, in in retail, there's a thing called shrinkage. It's how much like kind of theft they have, you know, either employee theft or yep. just okay. Yep. I almost wonder if that's where we're at in energy now, to where the new normal, if you will, like shrinkage is in retail. That you got to almost put a certain amount aside for legal costs because these new environmental climate activists are really impacting the marketplace. Uh, just your thoughts on that. No, there's no question about it. It's all an ad, an adding to the cost of doing business, which adds to the cost of the product that you're creating, which adds to the cost to the consumer, whether it's at the pump or, or you know, at the lumberyard or, you know, at the grocery store or whatever it might be. It adds to the cost of everything. I mean, I, I you know, I'm, the, I'm the, um, the ranking member on the Transportation and Infrastructure Subcommittee of the Environment and Public Works Committee. It's a, it takes an average of four and a half years to permit a road, Jason, a road. And in many cases, it's 10 to dozen years to, to permit a road. It doesn't take that long to build a road. It takes that long to permit. All of that costs lots of money. Nobody wins by that except lawyers. That's the only people that win by that. So it just adds to the cost and the burden. And the people that carry that cost and burden, of course, are always the consumers at the end of the, at the, end of the value chain. It kind of reminds me of, uh, you mentioned lawyers, because that's what I had wrote, uh, written down as we were talking, is that the, the, the legal industry is just having gangbusters. They're the ones who are benefiting the most out of this. So, you know, as, as, as multiple industries suffer, there is one that kind of seems like it's doing okay. And it's, I'm not picking on lawyers here, because that's, that's just how the ebbs and the flows. Well, that's how it works, the ebbs and the flows of the economy, you know. But it reminds me of kind of, this issue that was uh, emerging in the late 90s. And then you, you and I touched on it at Governor Dalrymple's Economic Summit at the Radisson uh, about, I want to say 2015 it might have been, but 
Uh, we called it uh, the, the Facebook marketplace and the app marketplace, if you will, which is really the digital economy. And the, it, it, back in the 90s, they called it thought workers. And in the uh, 2000s, I called it the intangible versus the tangible, like selling advertising for a radio station is intangible. Selling tires is tangible. So it's yeah. very and, – and when you're a banker or you're, you're an investor – an intangible is hard to invest in. A tangible is really easy. It's black and white. It's commodity-based pricing, this and that. We have Your such assets on the other side of it, backing it up. Yeah, and and we, you know, we've gotten into such a place in America now that you know we're lawyers. That's a thought worker, okay? You know, um, yeah. we've gotten to a place now where we've become really a white-collar society to to where blue-collar is is getting shipped out and we're trying to make a resurgence and we're doing our best to get the trade schools back involved, this and that. But, um, I'm, I, you know, you're talking about fairness and access to banking. That's where I'm going with this to where the marketplace really has changed to where the thought worker, the intangible marketplace is almost as important now as the tangible commodity place in the economy now. So, it almost seems like the banking should, you know, we should be a little bit different now when it comes to maybe not having as much collateral before or having as much, um, uh, you know, government contracts or big contracts or whatever the case is. Are you following me at all? Am I, am I, am I, I am a little bit. So you're, you're touching on a whole bunch of issues. Totally, totally. Sort of large one. Whether it's the soft, you know, sort of the soft side of, of, of uh, of business that you referenced white collar. We definitely have transitioned to more of a service economy, mm-hmm. but even a service economy has to move its goods and the services some way, somehow, Without whether it's moving people on jets and trains and automobiles or moving data over broadband and, and, and through the digital infrastructure, or of course, at the end of the day, the day you, you you do have to manufacture all of these things, and so the so you can't completely abandon that. But we sort of we've trans, made that transition. But even beyond that, now you you've got all that. But then you've touched on the regulatory side, the legal side. All of that adds no value to anything. It just costs. Mm-hmm. Um, with regard to fair access to banking, now, and, and I would maintain some of, some of the loss of a lot of the blue collar um, jobs that have been shipped. Overseas, you know, in the in the in the quote free free trade era, um, you know, we've sort of lost sight of some of that. Now, to your point, it's coming back because COVID nineteen has exposed the vulnerabilities of a of a global supply chain to a country like the United States. And, and sure, things are cheaper, but if you believe that slave labor is okay, or you believe that stealing your IP is okay, sure, let let China build everything, including our pharmaceuticals. Another large topic. With regard to fair access to banking, what I get at a little bit there is that you know, financial service providers are increasingly employing these subjective category-based evaluations to, to deny certain persons and businesses access to financial services. Um, and, and it's in response to, to what you and I have been talking about, to pressure from advocates from across the political spectrum, usually the left because they're more activist-oriented, whose policy objectives are served when banks deny customers financial services, certain customers. So, so we, you know, I believe that banks are, should be free to provide or deny financial services to any individual customer, um, but it has to be done on, on empirical data, evaluated consistent with the bank's established impartial risk management standards. And, and some of these financial service providers 
which are supported, by the way, by the taxpayer and enjoy significant privileges in the financial system. Their, their, their insurance is backed up by the federal government, for example, FDIC. But they, they should not be in the business of acting as de facto regulators or, or unelected legislators by withholding services to otherwise creditworthy businesses based on these subjective political reasons or biases or prejudices. Um, and so, so, you know, we're talking about fossil fuel industry. We're talking about um, firearms industry. Uh, we're talking whether it's retail, manufacturing. Um, you're talking about you know uh, private prisons, for example. Uh, you know, been excluded from a lot of this. And so, uh, I actually have a bill that I introduced that now has 33 sponsors on it called the Fair Access to Banking Act. I sit on the banking committee, and um, it prohibits banks that have over 10 billion dollars in in total consolidated assets or their subsidiaries. So, if you have you know a number of banks. Um, but it, but it prohibits banks that refuse to do business with any person in, in compliance with our act from using discount window lending programs. It terminates their status as an insured depository institution. In other words, receiving FDIC banking if they refuse to do business with any person, um, you know, in, in compliance with the bill. So you, you're right. We've got to go after this. I, I just had a, a, a meeting uh, the other day with Jamie Dimon. Um, he, he read my bill, he saw my concerns, he called and said, can I come and talk to you? And Jamie, Jamie Dimon with J.P. Morgan Chase, that's, that's one of the largest banks in the world, the most profitable bank uh, in the world, um, you know, they have in, in, some of their, um, in some of their standards, you know, they've, uh, they've touched on a few of these things, but he's been the most reasonable of the major banks. I've got Citibank coming in to see me, I've got Wells Fargo coming in to see me, but he, he's been pretty vocal in the last week or two saying, look, as we transition, to a, a, a you know a carbon constrained economy, we can't just turn the lights off and, and and just shut down everything fossil fuel. We'll kill our whole economy, and we'll just again transfer um, emission standards to the rest of the world, which don't have the same standards as we have. We had a delightful conversation where he was actually lecturing me some of my own talking points, but lecturing me on the fact that. That the Paris Accord, as an example, the United States was the one country that's been reducing its its uh, greenhouse gas footprint, its carbon footprint, in recent years at a much faster pace than others. While there, the the Paris Accord allows China and India, the biggest polluters of greenhouse gas emissions, to continue to increase theirs. He said, and so he's been getting more public, um, just saying, you know, let's transition, but we can't just, you know, stop stop investing in fossil fuels and think that the American economy is going to be okay or that we're going to lead, you know, a carbon-constrained future. So a lot of information, but I, here's what I would say, Jason, this is why what you're doing is so critically important. I, maybe I say this every time we talk, but what happens is the left is so much better at communicating. They're so much more activist-oriented. They're so much more emotional. Conservatives, including the fossil fuel industry and, the, and, and several others, they just want to be left alone. So if the only people that, that the presidents of these major banks are hearing from are their proxies, uh, you know, or, or the, these uh, advocacy groups from the left, then they're going to go that direction. We need to stand up to that and say, no, 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 no. Here's the other side of the story, and, um, you know, you've got to consider, consider it all. Well, it is different. You know, I brought up the, you know, the... Um the commodities and the, uh, um, which would be collateral, sorry, collateral. And of course that government contracts for a long time were, were collateral by banks. And so, and then that, that apparently became too unfair because of X, Y, Z. So now it's almost seems like they're overcorrecting it to where, 
Uh, in fact, I talked to someone the other day that is out of uh, a big, not, not an Accenture business, but a big company like that that is kind of specializing in this ESG stuff uh, oh, with, yeah. with banks We're and everything. And, and she said to me, she goes, Jason, you wouldn't believe it, that banks are now being advised in some cases to, to you know, get behind things that don't even make money, but because it's a good social cause, for example. And not that they're doing that, but those conversations are happening. And so I'm glad that you're having these public conversations because it just seems like this game of ping pong is going back and forth and back and forth. And at the end of the day, this is some pretty serious stuff we're talking about here. And, you know, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of people that have, uh, you know, their businesses and their skin in the game and that sort of thing. And if it's just, you know, we're going to go off of, you know, social cause of the week, that's, that's a tough go for a lot of people. You know. Remember, at the end of the day, a business person, an entrepreneur solves a problem. You've done it many times. You find opportunities that exist because some, some, there's a void in something, and you fill it. Well, that's what b- bankers do with, the, with money. They, they, and at the end, they need to make money to, to continue doing it. And so, to your point, these activists are forcing, and by the way, these activists have some strong supporters on some in some pretty important places like, you know, the banking committee I serve on is the same committee that Sherrod Brown is the chairman of. <laughs> if you don't know Sherrod Brown, you know, just watch a little C-SPAN and you'll, you'll be, uh, you won't be impressed. Um, and don't get me wrong, I like Sherrod, but he is nothing like, like we are out here. Um, Elizabeth Warren, I think probably a more iconic figure in, in um, the far left in, in terms of beating up on banks. And they, what they want is they want banks to invest in things that lose money rather than make money. I'm saying you shouldn't be prohibited from investing in things that make money if, they, if they're credit worthy just because they're in the wrong industry. And, and so, it, you know, we've got to have a balance to all this. And by the way, to, to your other point, banks right now have a lot of capital. And the, part of the reason they have a lot of capital is because my, many of the regulations that came from, came from the Dodd-Frank uh, legislation of years ago uh, under Obama that Elizabeth Warren championed require them to carry much larger capital balances than they need to carry. And what that means is, in fact, Mr. Diamond, Jamie, Jamie Diamond said to me the other day that they could have invested a lot more during the pandemic than they were if it weren't for the regulations requiring them to have all this capital on the si- sitting on the sidelines. Instead, of course, the Federal Reserve was printing more money and, and investing in it or backing it. And, 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 uh, and we're putting out, you know, cheap and free money all over the place to, to get through this pandemic economic downturn. And so here banks were sitting on money. And we, we know this is true, not just of the big banks. This is true of a lot of our community banks as well. And the more cheap money that gets printed in our economy, the more, the more liquidity that gets put into the marketplace that doesn't have a place to go. Um, that just, that just means that these banks are sitting on large sums of money that they're not able to, um, invest because of weird rules and regulations. They're not able to, to lend it. And it's, it's, it's upside down and we've got to get this, uh, this whole system back to equilibrium. Well, what's next then? What should people do next? Obviously we got to wait for the DAPL, uh, decision before anything can be done there, but even then it's not necessarily done. We'll probably see it in, in, in some appeals happen, but when it comes to some of this uh, uh, fair, fairness in banking and, and just getting access to capital, what, what do you recommend for people? Well, stay close to your banker and your credit union members, uh, your credit unions. They're, they're advocating. Uh, obviously, they want to be in the business of lending. 
th- things like um, you know things like the the, the, the capital balances, the ca- capital carry, and things like that. We're working on to to make sure that banks have enough of a balance to to be you know to be safe, but also don't aren't sitting on so much that they're not doing any good. Um, the price of money, you know, is really cheap. I would expect it to come up a little bit if if we see some inflation. We're starting to see some inflation. Uh, we're seeing it in commodities for sure. We're seeing it in lumber and building costs. We're seeing it in oil. You know, we're seeing it in in, in other some of the food commodities as well. But just stay close to your banker. The, the other thing to want, look out for. Remember, we're, we're looking back about big infrastructure package. Um, Joe Biden wants to spend two point seven trillion dollars. Only six percent of it of it of it on roads and bridges. They're proposing an infrastructure package that spends more money incentivizing and creating um, uh, electric vehicles and electric um, infrastructure for the vehicles than they do on roads, bridges, waterways combined. Combined, if you can imagine. And uh, so we need to get we need to get some common sense back and start. We need a big infrastructure package. We need to include the private sector in that. We need to expand the, the tax base so that it's not just um, you know fossil fuel in, uh, generated automobiles, but electric vehicles as well, paying their their way on the highways to to maintain and build them. We need to make sure that the highway trust fund is being spent on transportation infrastructure, not on other social programs, and um, and to, to, we include the private sector because just by just by not allowing the Keystone XL pipeline to be built, you're taking billions of of uh, private sector dollars out of the infrastructure, um, you know, framework, and it makes zero sense whatsoever. So um, elections have consequences. We're in the fight. We appreciate the great job you do, Jason, in, in informing um, your listeners and readers and and uh, subscribers because uh, it's it's a very important public within our public. Exclusive interview industry news, environmental innovation at thecrudelife.com. With Jason Speece. Thank you for joining the program today. You know, I, I come from an oil background. My family's been in the oil and gas industry for 60 years. I, I think the thing with the younger generation is the younger generation has pretty much bought into the climate change phenomenon. They really believe everything that people tell them. We just want to thank everybody that has been so supportive of us, and especially you, Jason. Without without your help, I don't think our event would be as successful as it is. So I, I don't want to be real critical of them because being a guy who's, you know, dad has several small businesses and, and coming from that sort of small business background, I get it. I mean, the, the, the operators here were put in a real bad position by the state of North Dakota. I'm glad that we've got people like you to pay attention and bring us information on stuff like this. Prices can't go any lower for services. 
I, I, they're, they're too low right now. I, our margins are in the single percentage point if we're lucky, and we're not lucky that often. You're exactly right. ESG is becoming more and more important to shareholders. I can speak for my 20 companies. They take it very serious. Makes perfect sense, and I thought you had a really good show last week. Jason, I love your inquisitive questions because you you ask important questions that that lead to the most important truths. Hey, this is Kevin Kramer representing proudly the state of North Dakota, United States Senate. Talking to Jason Speece, who's like the best energy interviewer in the world. No one does an interview like Jason Speece. We all like living the crude life, so... <laughs> The Crude Life with host Jason Speece. My name is Jason Speece, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk with Ron Gusek, president of Liberty Oilfield Services. This is Ron Gusek, president of Liberty Oilfield Services. A large pad we would be working on, and, and so we embarked on a two-year effort to lower the noise level of a frack fleet and ultimately got to a place where at 500 feet away, you could listen to the birds chirping and not a frack fleet pumping. And emissions, of course, has been a, a work in progress for the industry as a whole. Certainly very true in pressure pumping. We take a large amount of horsepower out to location. And, you know, when Liberty started, that was a tier two diesel asset. That moved to tier two dual fuel in 2013, the ability to consume or substitute some amount of that diesel for natural gas. In 2018, tier four diesel. So a meaningful reduction, I think a, probably a 10x reduction in NOx emissions versus uh, tier one technology and and certainly more efficient and then ultimately in 2019 came tier four biofuel capability which drives the substitution levels to replace displaced diesel with gas up to 75 or 80 percent and next is electric of course we're hard at work on an electric track fleet in which case we'll be generating power with natural gas only and we'll deliver what we believe will be the lowest emissions frack fleet ever put in the field. That's probably due out commercially next year sometime. We're in test with, with those assets right now. And, you know, at a high level, those are those are some of the things going on. But yeah, there's a huge amount of work that's taken place in this industry over the last decade, I think have, have made our industry dramatically better. And, uh, the list is probably even longer on the ENP side. To listen to the full-length interview with Ron Gusek, President of Liberty Oilfield Services, or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. While you're there, be sure to join our ever-growing army of energy enthusiasts with our social media accounts. From the Facebook to the Twitters to the YouTubes, they're all located at thecrudelife.com. Click on the social media tab. From the staff at the Crude Life Daily Update, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure 
the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. The music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. So there's still people without power as of this morning. You know, right now I think there's very limited driving out there in West Texas. They're generating about 5% of the power today. Uh, in, in Texas. Sensing a microphone because I just poured a glass of water because we don't have running water here yet. I mean, this, is, this has been uh, a very trying week for a lot of people across the state of Texas. Uh, there are, and let me just say this, I, I'm sorry that so many Texans were let down by their grid. On the phone talking with us today, Chairman Christy Craddock of the Texas Railroad Commission. We have roughly 470,000 miles of interstate and intrastate pipe and pipelines in Texas and roughly another 500,000 miles of gas utilities uh, lines in Texas. So we have a lot of, and gathering lines are in that 470,000 miles as well. So we have a lot of pipe in Texas. We're the largest pipe state by a sixth. It it is a very challenging day in Texas right now. Uh, The grid operator is projecting that nearly three million homes in Texas uh, are without power today. uh, And and there's- It's our snowy here in Lubbock again. I mean, I don't, I thought it was supposed to be sunny today. So I'm from Odessa, and that's a big part of my district, but I also represent, uh, in addition to Ector County, uh, three other counties in the Permian Basin. So Andrews County, Ector County, Ward County, and Winkler County, but uh, all, all in West Texas, all in the middle of the oil patch. You know, when they close the roads down, we can't transport that, that those, uh, those materials. And so we can't get the product to uh, where it needs to go to get refined so that we can either one, heat our homes, or two, uh, have fuel for our vehicles. Um, with pipelines, that doesn't really come into effect. You know, once the pipelines are laid, not much can stop that that crude oil or uh, natural gas from getting from point A to point B. They are so far behind the curve on getting the storage, the battery storage, uh, in place to be even be able to handle a, 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 you know, the most minute degree of storage for a case like what happened in Texas. And now, you know, there's gonna be a spotlight on that. And just an incredible impact. We saw nearly 30 gigawatts uh, come offline yesterday. Half of the lodge went without water since Saturday. On Friday, the Railroad Commission uh, took quick action. I know you recently had Chairman Craddock on. We'll have water for until 5 p.m. and then we'll be off again for the night. On Friday, I sent a letter asking the Public Utilities Commission of Texas to rescind its order authorizing uh, these uh, generator, these generators or these providers to increase the rates. You know, I don't know that's true, but I don't think I'd want to be in a hospital in Dallas, Texas on, a, on life support and know that wind energy is going to be my source of keeping that machine running, right? J.P. Warren reporting from uh, Houston, Texas at 9, 12 a.m. Uh, I don't even know what day it is right now. I think it's Wednesday. Uh, we ran out of water yesterday. I've had maybe three hours of sleep in three days.
The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. Is sponsored in part by... It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. Is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come.